episode of Video Game Logic. Today's episode was recorded on July the 2nd, 2019. I'm your host, gaming psychologist, and with me, as always, the talented and tenacious... Caffeine Rage? Or, or, or do you have somebody else on here tonight? No, it's you. It's always you. On today's show, we will, of course, be discussing the games that we have played this week. We're going to be having a little bit of a general discussion about this year's Steam Summer Sale. Multiple video games are getting TV adaptations... EA says they struggle with the perception that they're just a bunch of bad guys. And we'll have our weekly community community corner this week where we discuss some games purchased on said Steam sale for upcoming game clubs. And we'll have a Steam weekly discovery queue. Timestamps will be in the show notes following their respective topics. Hello, Rage. Hello. So this is one of the longest run-ups to show start we've had in recent weeks, but one of the fastest once we hit record, we start going. So, I don't know what that means. Is it a sign? We were talking about those earlier. Uh, yeah, it means that you're too tired. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the For any of our, perhaps, non-American listeners who are unfamiliar with American holidays or culture, um... um which, how can we um, familiar with American culture when we export it all over the place? Very true. Uh, especially but if you have oil. You... Yeah. We'll export real hard over there. Um, but Thursday is the 4th of July, also known as Independence Day in America. And holidays always go one of two ways in my industry. Right before they're either completely dead or insanely busy. Because either everyone's, you know, leaving going not coming to their appointments or everyone has to get their medication and stuff before they go on their trip and last year around this time it was completely dead and this year it is a fucking madhouse more so than usual yeah yes that that phrase has other connotations for where i work good point um but yeah so my brain is just a big old pile of mush his brain is uh spinning around in an office chair going (laughs) callbacks <laughs> really old callbacks finger guns um so yeah i am excited to talk about the games that i played this week though which is kind of an accidental segue because i was just saying i was excited to talk about games but that's a perfect lead-in to talk about games so do you want to talk about games oh uh, we can talk about games do you want to talk about one of your games uh, while you're still awake uh, sure. So, I've got uh, Forza Horizon on here again. Uh, I got the LEGO Speed Champions DLC. I got a coupon code that was $5 off any uh, purchase of $20 or more. Uh, and then I combined that with some credit I had on my Microsoft account. So, I wound up getting the DLC for like 10 bucks, And I was like, you know what? I'll do it for that. My kid is like super excited every time he sees the lego icon and he wants to play that with me so i i bought into it and uh it is a lot of fun um it's pretty much what you'd expect on the 10 it's you get on a train and travel to legoland and it is a separate map that is not entirely constructed of lego stuff but mostly constructed of lego stuff 
there's Lego houses and all of the streets in Lego City have got, you know, the little brick nubs on the sidewalks and things like that. There's Lego plants and Lego trees and Lego fences and Lego animals and Lego people on the streets. You know, lots of Lego stuff. Uh, there are three Lego cars, which I was a little disappointed that there weren't more than three. I'm not sure why it was only three. Um, well, three is the number of counting. It, <laughs> Yes, it is. But um, there's a Lego Mini Cooper, a Lego Ferrari F40, and a Lego McLaren Senna. Well, and, I mean, you just... Well, have you ever Sorry, tried to build something? a Lego kit? They're fucking expensive. That's all they could afford. Yeah, I'm sure. Life-size cars out of Lego. Um, but you get the Lego Mini Cooper when you start the, or when you first go in after it does its little intro. Relatively quickly, you get the Lego Ferrari. Uh, I do not have the Lego McLaren yet, but you get to drive it during the opening, um, cinematic or opening event thingy, which is kind of like how Forza Horizon 4 starts with you in the different cars, like hitting different events. And it's like check out the cool stuff you're going to do. Yeah, and they're all um, the showcase events that you do later. Yeah. Um, so, but I have driven, so I've driven the McLaren in that, and then the sort of career missions, or the story missions for Legoland, are you doing stuff to try and prove that Legoland is real? So, initially, it's like, they kind of play it a little tongue-in-cheek, like, is this real? Is this in your imagination? Has everyone just turned into big kids? But pretty quickly, they lean into like, no, this is totally real. All of this Lego stuff is real and life-size. And everything and is awesome. Don't... Oh, I'll get to that in a second. <laughs> um, but, so the Lego, or the, the story missions for Legoland is you doing stuff that's supposed to prove that they're real cars and not somehow faked. Um, I've done a few of those. The Lego map is overall much smaller than the main map. It's narrow uh, and long, relatively speaking. It's not like it's a rectangle or anything like that, but it's definitely more long than it is wide. Um, Maybe three, four miles from one end to the other. But that's not too huge of a deal. Most of the events are shorter races, um, there's a couple of, there's three main areas where a lot of stuff takes place. There's a stunt area, which is, has like piles and piles of Lego stuff on it and ramps and like buildings and stuff you can jump through and around. Um, then there's like a track area that's got an oval and a drag strip and then a, like a drift course. And then there's a, a Lego airport, which just is just another sort of stunt area. I mean, there's planes around and stuff to, to drive around, but it creates a series of ramps and jumps and obstacles to kind of slalom. So those are kind of the three main areas out of the map. There's a desert with dinosaur bones and UFOs. And I mean, lots of silly Lego stuff, pirate ships, um, sci-fi stuff like aliens. There's like a ghost forest. Um, all of that stuff is really fun and cool and exciting and bright and colorful, and it makes me happy. Um, but there is the Everything is Awesome soundtrack. There's a radio station called Awesome Radio, and it literally plays the Everything is Awesome Lego song on loop forever. <laughs> there's there's an announcer guy that comes on every so often 
to give you the updates about when the world changes as you complete challenges and stuff. And then he's always like, all right, it's time to go back to that song, your favorite song, the most awesome song. And then it's like starts playing again. And my kid is like, yay. And I'm like, kill me. <laughs> and when we do switch a Kate, you know, sometimes I'm not leaving on that the whole time, but usually we'll play for 30 minute bursts or so. Like when I get home from work before dinner or after dinner. So we'll kind of alternate one playtime. We'll do everything is awesome. Another playtime. I'll pick a different radio station to listen to, or just turn the radio off. Or just but, pop your drums with a screwdriver. Yeah. Just stab my brain with an ice pick. Uh, the main sort of, I don't know, gist or thrust or whatever of Legoland, that sort of challenge stuff, is um, you're building a, a, a Lego house. You're a master builder. And by completing the various races and challenges, you get bricks to build your house. As you complete events and get blocks, you tick towards milestones, which give you... Um, the buildings for your house and then the cars and you get rewards for stuff. Like just like you were buying a house, it'll give you the rewards, but it says you get the upgrades. So it's stuff like wheel spins or it'll unlock new stuff on the map, new events. Um, there's new collectibles. They are, there's more bonus boards. Then there's these little things called bonus cubes or, um, influence cubes. And every time you smash them, you get 25 influence points for towards your next level. Uh, and they come back. And those aren't like a collectible. They respawn. Um, and then there's alien energy generators, which are a thing kind of like the bonus boards. And they give you it's either 2,000 or 2,500 influence for every one of them that you smash. But those don't respawn. And then there's more bonus boards. Um... And then there's some new Lego stuff. There's the Trailblazer PR event, which is you go from point A to point B, and the goal is to just get there as fast as you can. So you can go off-road, on-road, you cut across or through things, whatever it takes to get there. Um, there's Lego jumps, which are boost pads that you know obviously give you a big speed boost and then rocket you off the jump, and those are worth pretty big skill points. Um, I think that's it. At least it that I found so far on the new stuff. I have no clue how far I am on the Lego house progression tree. Um, I, I don't know how far, you know, being a master builder goes, but in general, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a really good, silly addition to the game. Um, and I like it. Oh, it's got its own sort of horizon seasonal events. Um, they don't give you horizon points like the ones in the main season do it's a separate thing um but you can still earn rewards from them the same way and they're set up like tournament series with multiple races and then there's a forzathon every hour in lego land just like in on the mainland uh does it handle the same uh, you know three events uh, based around in world challenges or yeah it handles exactly the same only um, more I assume awesome. that the rotate, huh? Only more awesome. Yes, more awesome. I would assume that they get recycled a lot faster, just because, like I said, in general, the map size is a lot smaller. But there's still a lot of stuff that's 
that's in there, a bunch of different races for different routes and things like that. So they, they've been able to keep that mixed up fairly well. But, you know, it's just more great content. The only thing that really kind of bugs me about it is that it feels like occasionally they got really lazy. So there's these different sections. There's 18 in total that are kind of themed with, you know, various Lego themes. So, you know, there's the airport. There's the racetrack zone. There's the stunt zone. There's a pirate zone. There's a sports zone. There's dinosaurs, a desert, like, you know, etc. Um, but between some of the really big changes, like you think about, about like biomes, like there's several things that are in the desert and there's several things that are in kind of this countryside. And separating the two is just a, some normal grass that's not Lego grass and like a little creek that's not in any way Lego themed. And some normal ass trees, just serving as like a hard border Wait, they have between ash these trees? two. Yeah, ash trees. Some normal ash trees, just serving as a hard border between these two Lego areas. So that that's a little frustrating. It's like you know you guys couldn't have done just like a little bit more Lego stuff to completely theme this up. And every time it happens or we go past them, my kid is like, "It's so weird. There's real trees here in Legoland, Daddy." And I'm like, I know, buddy. It's like the 40th time you've told me, please stop. <laughs> Just listen to everything is awesome and be happy. Every time we, we finish races, my character does like that. I forget what it is, but that little, little run thing with like his arms at his side and then he waves. My kid has started doing that. Like every time we win, he'll stand up and he'll do that. And I've given up trying to convince him to just sit in his chair. <laughs> I just let it happen. You should just, just let it happen. You should change the animation and see how long it takes him to learn a new one. Uh, yeah, I've thought about trying different dances. Uh, dances, go with the backflip. Go whole hog. Oh, God. <laughs> You're trying to kill my kid. He will try and do backflips off of his chair. He just will. I have to be a somewhat responsible parent and prevent that from happening. Uh, how about that? We found your limit. Yeah, I know. I don't want to kill my kid. Um. Well, good thing you're not in Alabama then. <laughs> yeah. But that's that's about all I can think of. It doesn't add a lot that's really could you know can be talked about. It's mostly the theme and the few cars and the few extra events that are different. I mean, it's a blast. But you know, if you liked Forza and you can get this you know cheaply or you already have it through like this season, the VIP pass or game of the year or whatever, then it's 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 great. I enjoy it. But you wouldn't suggest it want- full price. Mm, I don't think so. I feel like it's really good value at like ten bucks, and I w- I wouldn't be like disappointed at twenty bucks. I don't think, but I'd be kind of like, eh, is this all I got? I think the biggest thing that's a letdown is the cars. I was re- I was hoping there were more than three cars because Forza is all about, or well, one of the huge aspects of Forza is collecting cars, and there are multiple car packs for different themes already that have you know, 10, 12 cars in them. Like the drift car pack has got, I think eight or nine. The James Bond car pack has got six or seven. And at the end of the day, they're all just sort of cosmetic stuff. That's applied to the outside of, of the vehicle. The Lego cars are. I mean, how even uh, fortune that, Island, uh, the previous expansion has a lot more. Yeah. Uh, Which I want to get, yeah. Fortune Island too, but I'm probably less inclined to spend more than maybe like five bucks on that. 
because it doesn't have the fun Lego theme. But, I mean, it's still good. I still like it. And I'm, I haven't played any today, but I've still played Forza every day, or almost every day, since we first started playing it. <laughs> but I, I doubt I'll play it today. I didn't play it when I got home. And uh, we're doing the podcast now, and I'm probably just going to crash super hardcore after this is over. So oh, but I'll, I'll after, skip today. not during. <laughs> All right, I said my piece. Good night. <laughs> Peace out. Do you want me to do? Do you want me to do my other game, I, I or do, do you want to take? I could do turn? one uh, so that you could rest your voice a little bit. Okay, you take a turn. So I went into the Game Pass again, and I've actually been toying around with this on and off for the last couple of weeks. And I decided to put a little bit more time into Super Hot to get a feel for it. And it's a very odd game. Super Hot, for those who don't know, I would actually classify this as a first-person shooter puzzle game. The whole premise of Super Hot is that you're, well, at least at the point that I'm at in the story. I haven't finished the game, even though it is somewhat short. I just didn't have a, yeah, enough time to really dive that far into it is that you're breaking into this government simulation sort of war games-esque and you found this program called super hot that you're taking control of something that whenever you're uh moving uh time moves normally but if you stop uh, time doesn't stop completely because it's all based on the motions of the character. So, like, involuntary eye movement to get rid of the blind spot and the, and the human eye, the heartbeat, that sort of thing, is enough to progress time very slowly. So you can see bullets creeping along. Uh, very Matrix-esque. And the whole idea of Super Hot is survive and kill everything in the room. And it starts off pretty damn simple, you know, uh, uh, pick up a gun, shoot someone, uh, throw a gun at something, someone, uh, grab a baseball bat and hurl it across the room. But it starts to build up complexity very quickly to the point that it feels like a Tarantino movie almost. You know, uh, the last level that I completed that was really starting to get crazy was I jumped over a car that was driving at me, punched this guy, stole his gun, shot him. Took the expended gun because I only had one bullet. Threw it across the parking garage. Uh, dodged a shot from a uh, shotgun blast. Uh, hid behind the pillar of the uh, parking garage. Punched the guy that I threw the gun at. Stole his gun. Shot the shotgun guy. Took the shotgun and killed two other people. And there was like something else after that. I mean, it got crazy. And because it's all first person, it has this you know very intense. You know, feel of whenever you see a shot just whiz by because it's one shot kill, you know. It's, uh, you know, it's one of those things that if you, like in real life, if you get hit with a uh, a shot, you know, you're not going to just continue on and just have a raspberry jam across your face. You know, you're going to drop, right? Yeah. And it's all just one shot kill, uh, both for you and the enemy, and it gets very intense very quickly, but because of the time stop mechanic, you know, you still have that moment to be able to uh, stop and get a feel of what's going on. Oh, there, oh, I did complete a couple of levels after the car one. Uh, there was one that you're essentially locked in uh, in this 
uh, fighting arena with a bunch of guys that had baseball bats. So you had to do a, once again, a very Tarantino uh, Matrix-like move of punching a bunch of guys in sequence to try to grab a bat out of midair and then swing at one person, duck and weave under uh, uh, punches, uh, kill another guy, and eventually the, the the battle arena opens up and a bunch of guys with guns comes out. You have to throw the baseball bat down the hallway to try and stun them so you could grab a gun. I mean, it's a very empowering game, but at the same time, you don't feel overpowered like these power fantasy games do, uh, usually do. It's a very weird thing where, because you have that fragility, you feel like this ultimate badass, but know at any moment that that could come crashing down and you're forced to restart the level. It's a very odd juxtaposition there where you're, you feel so badass, but at the same time, you're incredibly fragile. And I'm interested to see where the story goes, actually, because you're kind of on this old school BBS system. Uh, talking with uh, one of your friends that's also cracked into the game and is uh, uh, cracking into this presumably government software to try to, you know, just play the game. That's why I was kind of drawing the parallel with war games, because I remember that movie. <laughs> and, you know, it proves that, you know, going to uh, unknown servers and playing random games can lead to World War Three <laughs> if you're not careful. Uh, of course, it also requires the people at the top to be idiots, but eh. Oh, and that would never happen. When was it going to go with a political statement there? But, oh, what the hell, right? <laughs> We're us. It's pretty hard for us not to make a political statement. Uh, so, uh, you've played Super Hot before? Since you were interested in my views on it? No, I've actually never played Super Hot before. I'm very familiar with it, just sort of by osmosis. Yeah, it's one of those but games it's that's one of those uh, things so it's... unique. And it has a very uh, unique uh, art style to it. It's very minimalistic with all the NPCs. Uh, uh, they're all like made out of red glass. And whenever you shoot one, they shatter. And there's a VR version of this as well that's supposedly one of the better VR uh, game set it's not just blank the experience which i would imagine would be absolutely terrifying because you know it would do the full range of motion it's a standing game yeah but yeah this is one of those things that it's like you're someone who i i know and whose opinions on games i i value and trust yeah i would so say like that's just... definitely worth uh, trying out especially with game pass i'm not sh- i'm i'm after playing this for a while, I'm definitely not convinced of its price tag because Super Hot is not a cheap game. It is. Duh, duh, duh. It. Oh. oh, there's someone that's. Uh, oh, that's the sequel to Super Hot, sorry. Do, do, do. It, it, I mean, it's a $25 game. It's definitely not worth that. I would say it's pushing in the $10 range just because of how utterly short the game is overall. It's only a few hours. I'm probably a good chunk of the way through it, actually. It's just not enough to really know the story. But it's yeah, it's one of those games that I think is definitely worth experiencing. But not the price tag uh, that they usually offer. Definitely, if you get Game Pass, so check it out. 
Yeah, I think I have it on Steam. Either I got it on a sale or got it somehow. Uh, I don't see you have it on Steam. No, I don't have it on Steam. I could have swore I had it somewhere other than Game Pass. Maybe I don't. But regardless, I do have Game Pass, so. Yeah. Was it ever on Twitch Prime? Uh, Maybe. Uh, That might be where I've got it. Uh, yes, it is. Okay, then I I think yeah, that's I, where I think I that, got it. I think that was the month that before I got uh, Twitch Prime because uh, it was super hot, oxen free, and Shadow Tactics. Yeah, which uh, Twitch Prime this month is really good. Yeah, I haven't got my Twitch Prime stuff. I need to do that soon. Yeah, I, I would say go, not right go now, do but that. I will. I would say go do that now since you could just mute the video. You just gotta click things. Before you forget and you miss another month. Well, I assume it's gonna get thrown back to me here in a second, so I'll do it after I talk about my next game. Yeah, unless you've got uh, well, unless you have some say. questions. I don't think so. I mean, like I said, <clears throat> very familiar via osmosis with Super Yeah, hot, people so. just went absolutely crazy for it, and I would say for good reason. It's just I strongly dis- uh, disagree with that price. This is one of those. That, I wonder if it's. Uh, this is one of those games. I think it's probably priced around its uh, unique experience, but otherwise, it's not. It, it just doesn't feel like a twenty five dollar game. As weird as that sounds, right? Yeah, well, I was gonna say. I wonder if it's like when it's hot and fresh and new. Possibly, it's like that was when it was uh, a very. Yeah, but they never dropped the price on it. So even now, you know, it's still uh, barely ten, sub ten. Anyway, uh, moving along. Sure. So my other game is the only game that I bought on the Steam sale that wasn't for uh, game club purposes, which is X4 Foundations. So in case you're unaware, I've talked about this series several times before on the show, but in case you're unaware, the X series is produced by a company called Egosoft. They're German. It is a... Space Sandbox game doesn't really describe it in its entirety. Eve. Yeah. That doesn't really describe it in its entirety either at this point. They've added several new things to to this one that takes it beyond even that. It's you can it's you can do anything at just about any level. So you can focus just on what you yourself can do in a combat ship, a single freighter, um or something like that. You, or you can take it all the way up to Empire Management, where you can build stations and complexes, build your own capital ships, manage fleets and wings of combat ships, mining vessels, traders. You can literally take over entire sectors and push out the main factions. Uh, you can In this one, you can actually rename sectors after you gain a... Uh, a high enough percentage control of them. You can name them to whatever you want. Um, you can create uh, taxes and things like that for stuff in your sector. You can hire defense fleets. You have to deal with pirates and everything in between. There's a huge amount of freedom. And and most of this has existed in some form or, fa- or fashion in most of the previous X games. There's a weird one with X Rebirth, which was a game that was designed with consoles in mind, 
and it's much more of a story experience. There is a story to these games, and there are sort of main campaign campaigns that you can go through to get sort of the progression of the universe and its story. But in general, you don't really have to worry about that. X Rebirth was fairly story-focused, um, and it pulled out a lot of the more deep and complex fleet management and station management and stuff like that. They were they were much more simple. Um, it's not a bad game, but it's very different. So I've talked about X Rebirth previously. I think I got it on the last summer sale or maybe the winter sale in like 2017 or something like that. Um, but uh, I mean, I played through the story. I'll probably never play that game again. It's not bad, but it's just not what I want. Anyways, um, for a long time, X3 was thought of as the best one. There are several different expansions to X3, but, um, for a long time, people thought of that one as the best one and you could pick your, your iteration, um, particularly with how big of a sort of a flop X Rebirth was in the PC community. X4 goes back to the complexity and the deepness of X3, but it keeps a lot of the stuff that I felt like worked from X Rebirth, which is you you are in first person now, you're you're a dude instead of just basically being a ship and sort of jumping back and forth between whatever ships you want to fly, you're actually a person. So you can get out of your ship, you can walk around on stations, on the larger ships, you can walk around. I mean you, you can walk around in every ship, but a lot of the small fighter type vessels really only have a cockpit area that you can hang out in maybe like a viewing window but larger ships can have multiple decks and even sort of the air quotes like small big ships because they've added um small mining vessels and small they call them couriers but they're like tiny freighters um they've got uh, a larger interior that you can walk around in all the space stations have pretty large interiors larger stations um think like shipyards or major faction stations have got ginormous interiors that you can wander around in for a while um a lot of that's more for flavor you can interact with everything via a menu um if you really want to the only thing that you actually need to get out of the station or out of your ship for is if you want to use the uh, what are they called trade goods it's not it it's stuff that you collect that's considered like small. It doesn't take in any of your ship's cargo inventory. It's the crafting materials for certain items and then sort of oddities. Like there's these crystals you can find that don't really have a purpose other than to be sort of vendor trash to get you some free cash along the way. And there's lots of little little items um that like no, space weed is still a a, a big ship consumable there's some things from previous games that have become these little sort of pocket items that don't take up any ship inventory space and when you get them you can keep them if you want them or you can just sell them um as far as i know they don't seem to have any use other than being just sort of vendor trash to help you out particularly in the early game when money is is slow going um but i really like that system um and with that in addition to massive improvements they've made to the ui and all of the menu systems. So in X3 and older games, um, you had to constantly juggle windows, and managing things was really difficult. It's like you want to look at the sector map um, and see what's going on. That's great, but you can only access things that are directly 
viewable within that map. If you want to go look at your ships, you have to close the map and then pull up the all of the ships that you have and find which one you want and click on it and view it in the map and then click on it again and give it orders. And it's, it's really a lot of steps to it. Automating things was really difficult. And some of the most popular mods were scripts that helped you um, automate processes within the game once your empire got to a certain size. In X4, everything can be controlled via the map screen and you can just right click on stuff and pull up lots of information, uh, orders for the, the captains and the crew orders for your station. Like everything is accessible via right clicks on the map. So that really streamlines that whole process. And in doing so, it has let me (laughs) fulfill like this almost said weird, not weird. This fantasy I have of being like a starship captain think like Star Trek-esque. So what I have done is I have gotten myself, uh, right now the largest vessel I have is is one of the courier-class trade ships. And I I got a full crew on the ship, and I just stand on the bridge and have the and issue orders via the map and have the AI pilot fly the ship around. And I'm like, yes, I am the captain of the ship, and I tell you where to go and what to do. Now all you need is an Echo Dot with uh, the wake words hit the computer. Oh my god, that would be amazing. I need one of those. I need that now. I'm going to buy it. But that's like this weird little thing that I've that I've found myself doing like almost immediately. The only time I directly take over the ship are to do um, specific missions that it's just faster and easier if I do them. The AI pilots are a lot better than they used to be. The pathing is a lot better, but even when they screw up, they've done this handy-dandy thing that when an AI pilot is controlling your ship, they can just phase through stuff. It's not like instantaneous. They'll bump into something and they'll try and go around it. But if they get stuck, there's it's like there's a timer on it. And they'll just suddenly, they'll just fly through it and it'll be fine. And that's a, a really useful thing. Uh, a band-aid fix, they do, but it works, right? Yeah. And they do still t- sometimes get stuck. And sometimes the autopilot freaks out. And if you're on autopilot, it um, lessens any collision damage you take. Um, and those same sort of rules apply. If you get stuck and you leave it in autopilot, it will um, eventually phase through whatever you're stuck on to to keep you going. So yeah, kind of a Band-Aid fix, but it works, and it's way better than their previous solution of your ship just either blows up or stops dead and can be there for forever before you notice because it doesn't give you a notification that it's unable to complete its objective. Um, that's another thing. You get notifications a lot better. Um, they're given to you at more regular interval intervals. It's easier to access the menu where you can see what your notifications and your messages are. Uh, so that if you need to go check on something, you can scroll through. You can search by ship names or ship types or station names or types. Um, so that is all good. Uh, you get your your first station a lot faster. I've played it for about 10 hours this weekend, and I've already got uh, the station that's referred to you as the player HQ. Usually you get that around the 30 to 40 hour mark after you've completed a huge chunk of faction quests um, or the main storyline. Either one of those can trigger you getting your HQ. And the HQ is a special station that doesn't quite follow the rules of any of the other stations. It's got much larger like ship storage. You can modify stuff in there a lot better because it's designed to be like a fleet command HQ or something like that. Um, but this game gives you access to that very early. 
Uh, I I found the mission to get it within my first three hours of playtime, and within another three hours, I had the station, and then uh, did my first station construction and a few a couple other missions to sort of progress the story. There's some stuff that I haven't quite got to yet. There's a research system. There's sort of like a reverse engineering system where you can bring captured ships in and get blueprints from them instead of having to purchase them. So it makes the piracy route more more viable. Um, you can also research technology that way by reverse engineering it. Um, and there's some other stuff too that's kind of being hinted at with like station managers and uh, defenses and sort of sector management. But I haven't gotten to that stuff yet. It's just kind of been talked about. Um, and I'm aware of it from previous experience with the game series. They have done massive improvements. God, so many good improvements to the station building system. Previously, you had to be very careful with how you built your stations because you ran into this issue of building station complexes. You'd get these weird spaghetti tubes across the, the sector map. So you had to build your stations out of the way so that NPC ships wouldn't crash into them and blow themselves up or blow your stations up. And you had to be very careful about how you constructed certain station uh, modules because they could get boxed in and then ships couldn't dock at them and your station would be useless. You'd have to blow it up and start over. In this one, there's a station building menu you go to and it gives you a 3D representation of your station. It shows you all of the parts that you have um, blueprints for or all the station modules you have blueprints for and it's just a snap together grid think like you know Kerbal Space Program or something like that you just snap the station together and you get the design that you want you confirm it and then it pulls up a list of all the resources and money you'll need to build the station and if you've got your own stuff if you can supply all of your own materials to it then you can just have your ships bring them to it you can have your construction ship come by and build it if you don't have anything, you can put money into a like a fund, and it's like, this is how much money it's going to cost to build the station. And you dump money in that fund, and then that sends out contracts to NPC traders to bring stuff to the station, and then once it's got all the materials, you can hire an NPC builder to come and build the station for you. Simplifies that whole system. Because previously, you had to buy the station module you wanted, hire a, a hauling vessel or a construction vessel to come pick it up at the station, fly it out to where you wanted, place it using the weird finicky system that didn't give you a good representation of where it was or where it was facing, hope for the best, and hope that the ship didn't crash or get stuck or attacked during the transportation process. Otherwise, you would lose all the money and the station part and the ship that you were using to transport it. So this is way more streamlined and improved. So I can't wait to get into building station stuff. I want to know if there's any issues with building large complexes or if it's better to build smaller ones or whatever. But that's a system that I'm very happy to see. They've done a lot of changes to the economy. Some of them are not quite tangible. Something that they always had before was like re the sort of background game director would examine sectors and inventories and stuff. And it would occasionally just delete stations that weren't being used npc stations or delete inventory that hadn't been moved in a while to clear up space to let the economy run again just band-aid fixes to keep stuff going and this one they've said that the economy is a lot more dynamic 
in that um, the NPCs really have to actually interact with stuff. There's not the director behind the scenes just destroying inventory and stations. I haven't quite got a, a tangible idea of how that works yet, but I have seen NPCs actually accepting contracts and missions that I could accept. So that's an interesting thing to see. And then you can also dole out missions to your pilots to have them complete. Um, so that's a pretty cool thing too, that we'll see how that shakes out in the late game. Um, there's some pretty big changes to the way that sector travel works. Previously, sectors were essentially big boxes, and you had the warp gates that took you from box to box, and you played in the box, and you moved on to the next one. In this one, they're much more connected. There are certain sectors that you have to take a jump gate to get to. But now you but can think outside also... the box. You can. Um, now you can think it. in hexagons. Now you're thinking but with hexagons. It... Indeed. But now there's certain sectors that you can just fly between um, using your your cruise engines. It takes a while, but you can do that. Um, it utilizes some of the systems from the previous game, like the, the super highways or the space highways and the mass accelerators. Yeah, I just got to watch out for the space hobos topping your, uh, uh, your spaceship and to watch the windshield. You really do. You really do. Those, those hobos are a big issue. Um, but so there, there's those other methods of travel. Um, it's really cool to actually just kind of fly around because the warp gates always served as a sort of loading screen and, you know, on modern, modern systems with an SSD, it's, it's nearly instantaneous. I went back and I played X3 a little bit this weekend to have some comparison to, to discuss, um, but traveling in this, it literally is instant and it's, it's weird, but in a cool way, like, yeah, I just traveled through hyperdrive and it was instant. It's, it's weird to explain, but the way it makes you feel when you do it is actually pretty cool. Going from like a super highway through a jump gate and you're like watching on the map, like the distance you've traveled and how you're going, you know, from one sector to another that aren't connected at all. And on the opposite side of the map. There's a lot fewer sectors than in previous X games, but the individual sectors themselves have got a lot more in them. Um, more stations, more ships, they're larger. Um, and they've made some big changes to the actual travel system. So you can get around faster. You don't have the time accelerator thingy by default. You can still get it, but you have to like build it instead of just being able to buy it for like a few hundred credits at any station. Um, cause they've got like cruise drive, which makes you travel really fast. Um, and these other ways to help you travel around the map, like the super highways cut down on the need to have the time accelerator. Um, and it, it doesn't really feel slow to not have the time accelerator. Um, let's see. Is that everything that I can really talk about and compare at this point? Oh, the ship. Okay, so the ship building system is different. Previously, they had a lot of different ships within the same class. So you would pick the ship that you wanted and based on the, its characteristics and then go from there. You could customize the loadouts, but the ships were much more limited in their role. In this one, they've gone for a modular system. So there's one, maybe two ships per class Per race. So it's and more then, like a framework, and then it's built up from there? Yeah, and you build it up with different engine types, shield types, weapon types and groups. Um, and then some ships have unique upgrades. Like, 
mining ships. They've got some special stuff for resource scanning. Of course, and, you wouldn't know, know uh, anything about what the mining ships are able to do, right? <laughs> that was the first thing I did. The first ship I bought was a mining ship. That's I'm not going to lie. I know. I know. But the first ship I bought was a mining ship. But um, a lot of people have complained about the modular system, but I like it. I, I It it kind of simplifies things. You don't have as many blueprints you have to get. Um, and I don't know. It's just neat. I like that how a few changes can make a single hull class look very differently. Um, and each of the engines feel fairly unique. You can kind of, once you learn them, you can pick out in space, like, okay, this ship has got this type of engine. That really only matters for combat, but, um, you know, it's like, oh, this ship has got this type of engine, so um, maybe I should target the engine and blow it up. Oh, the modular system lets you target subsystems, and you can blow them up, so you can t- destroy engines, shield generators, weapons, or weapon groups based on the ship uh, for added strategy. And that wasn't really a thing before. Modules could be damaged and destroyed, but it was more random. Uh, most of the damage just transferred directly to the hull. But now you can specifically disarm a ship, then that makes them more likely to surrender if you're trying to be a pirate, things like that. Space combat's pretty much the same. You have less weapons overall, which I kind of like. They've changed that system a little bit. They don't really rely on power so much. Like your system can or your ship can support certain classes of weapons, and you can't get weapons outside that class. So you don't have to worry about being like having a glass cannon with a ship that can fire one shot and then has to regenerate all of its power. Uh, wouldn't that be the Andromeda class? <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm not the only one that remembers that show then, right? Yeah, no, I remember. Um, But anyways... I've seen a lot of people who, who complain about it, and I think that's something that's just more to personal preference. Or it's, I like uh, it. Or it's very different from the previous good game. And yeah. borrows too much from the game that they didn't like, so they're put off by it. So I definitely understand. Doesn't make them right, yeah. but I understand their concern. Yeah, it's. I think it's a really good mix. Sort of a best of both worlds. There are definitely way less menus than in X3. So if you prefer the fully menu-driven game and you've got your mods and your scripts, you don't have to change. The only real massive upgrade that uh, you can't... I haven't really seen any good mods for is the graphics improvements. But Oh, give it um, time. Give it time. If you've, if you've not modded the game as much or if um, you know you're just sort of ready to move on, You've played the previous X games as much as you can. This is definitely uh, fairly drastically different from the previous X games. Um, it's definitely not a perfect game. I've talked about good stuff pretty much exclusively. The X series is known for being legendarily buggy and sort of being an early access type game before early access was a thing. Uh, you never want to buy an X game on release. Or they within are... the first year, really. Yeah, X4, I don't know when its official release date was. It released into, I think, early access. Or you could, like, have, if you pre-ordered it or something, you got access to it, like, relatively early. It's on 2.1 right now. 
um, on the update cycle. So most of the major bug crashes have been reportedly been fixed by this point. They've tweaked a lot of things. Um, like, oh, the crew system. I didn't even talk about the crew system. But I'll come back to that in a second. I mean, the game has got minor bugs, particularly in the physics department. You know, I said your ship can sort of get wedged inside of things. The autopilot can sometimes freak out and uh, run your ship through stuff. Walking around on stations, you can sometimes get stuck on things in there as well. And those are annoying, but they, you know, they have provided sort of band-aid fixes for all of those. If you get stuck somewhere on a space station, you can just press uh, Shift-D, which is like a little teleport that will warp you back inside your ship um and then you can go walking around again um that was a big complaint from rebirth it took forever to get back to your ship on larger space stations so you can just teleport to it and that serves as a fix for if you accidentally get stuck in something i've had one hard crash um no idea what triggered it kind of searched around on the forums a little bit looking for an answer but just seems like a random thing um the game auto saves and can be saved in space now. You had to actually buy an item in game. Uh, it was like insurance that would let you save in space, but you can just save wherever now. Quick saves are a thing. This is the first X game to have quick save without having to mod it in. That's handy dandy. You want to use that fairly often. Uh, F5 for safety, just as in KSP. Um. But the, the crew system is, is the other major sort of addition to this game. There was a crew system in X-Rebirth, but they've really refined it. Uh, your ships now actually have... They don't have to. You can fly a ship completely by yourself. But you get bonuses or performance from having crew. So if you think about like a small fighter, it has a very small crew complement. Um, and you don't need the extra crew to actually be able to utilize your ship completely because it's a fighter. But on my freighter, my my courier-level freighter, um, it has a crew of four outside of the pilot. And you need tr- two crew members to use the ship at 100% efficiency. And with two additional crew members, you can get uh, a performance bonus. And when on autopilot, it can complete tasks faster uh and has a higher chance of success on doing things. Um, so on on larger ships, there's some ships that require hundreds of crew, like massive freighters and battleships and things like that. So it, it does add a, an interesting new dynamic to the empire management aspect of it, having to have these crews. They train up over time as they just basically do their job. Uh, pilots get experience by you know, flying around and doing stuff. All the crew members just sort of gradually gain experience over time. If they're assigned to, say, engineering, um, their engineering skill will level up. They've got some other stats that kind of just level up as they go. You can assign crew to Marines for boarding action or for protecting your ship from boarders. And they can be trained to level up faster up to a certain point. But then the only way they level up past that is in combat. Um, So... In, in previous X Games, this sort of idea of having a crew, you had to buy special modules for your ship. And your ships always had pilot names, and they had some uh, a level attached to them that got to a max of 25. Um, and you could transfer pilots around, but honestly, there was no point. It was very tedious, and um, 
very expensive to get all the equipment to actually transfer the pilots. You're better off just get a new ship and train a captain up to do something specific there. But on this transfer, trans, um, transferring pilots is really easy. Just right click on them, tell them to go somewhere. Uh, it changes that sort of, you don't need special software to do a lot of stuff anymore. It's just all kind of based on your pilot level and all of your basic skills require a pilot level of zero. And there's a couple that require higher pilot levels, but otherwise it's just bonuses to combat past a certain point so they can just fly the ship better. But the crew system is really neat. Um, like I said, it lets me pretend that I'm a, a starship captain and I can just stand on the bridge and order them around and look at the pretty space scenery. So character models are pretty bad though. <laughs> Not going to lie. Those are really bad, but all of the spaceships and the actual, you know, sky boxes and things are very beautiful. So I know I talked a lot, but there's a, a whole section of this game that I haven't even gotten to yet. So at some point there'll be a part two once I've actually really dug into the empire management phase and I don't know how long that will be or when that will be. Previous X games have taken upwards of 50 or 60 hours to really get into the past, like the introductory phase to um, Empire Management. This game seems to have fast-tracked at least the station aspect, but I've only got two ships, and the only reason I have a space station is because it, you know, it, it gives you the quest for that relatively early. So I don't know how long it'll actually take me to get there, but I'm very excited to find out. So definitely not a perfect game by any means. But if you are really into this type of game, I think X4 is a really good successor to X3 uh, and all of its mini expansions. Um, like I said, I got it on the sale. It's 25% off, so I paid about 38 bucks for it. Uh, and I'm very happy with paying 38 bucks for it. So take that for what it's worth. You know, you should really ignore the radar right now, that little blip going across it, and definitely ignore uh, the banging sound on the hall, and definitely ignore the gunshots <laughs> that's coming from inside the ship as uh, we go to Heat Signature. Sweet. Tell me all about that. So, Heat Signature, to quote Tom Francis, it's what uh, a person dreamed about as soon as they discovered they could kick someone through the window, they looked up to the stars and wondered, what would it be like to kick someone through a window, but in space? It's a game about, well, to quote the trailer, getting into and out of sticky situations that you usually put yourself into. It's a roguelite stealth game. And I typically don't like stealth games, but I absolutely love this game. Mostly just because of how all the systems interact with one another. It's a top-down, essentially twin-stick shooter. Only you're often going to go into a almost pseudo-turn-based situation because it has a real-time pause to be able to sort out your situation, swap out weapons, that sort of thing. And to give you an idea of just you know, how wacky things can get, uh, one of the biggest kind of clusterfucks uh, uh, incidental successes I've had uh, revolved around kidnapping this person that uh, uh, you know, for some reason the, the 
message board wanted them. There's some rather funny uh, uh, personal missions like uh, my idiotic friend uh, got captured again. I need to go rescue him. Uh, that sort of thing. But this, uh, it was just a pure, you know, uh, uh, capture mission. I needed to kill uh, all the guards uh, around this guy, capture him, take him back to my pod. That's uh, pretty close to stealth, but not quite. If you get too close to enemy sensors, they will open fire on you. And there's a repair mechanic that's like, uh, okay, tap W to repair this system. Uh, hold D uh, to repair this system. Uh, definitely don't hold S, otherwise you die. <laughs> and this is all flashing up on screen real quick. <laughs> uh, that gives you a, kind of the idea, of the uh, sort of the British you know, sarcastic humor of it. But anyway, my incidental success. I was breaking onto this uh, random ship that I needed to capture a guard uh, uh, for some reason. And... I took a guy that uh, had a couple of uh, decent weapons and this is a roguelite. So it's procedurally generated. You start off with four characters, uh, essentially four character slots that you could reroll at any point, but at one, at a certain threshold, uh, they are, they stop gaining progression, which I'll talk about in a little bit, but uh, one of the guards had a shield on that I didn't uh, pay attention to, which uh, made them impervious to most damage, and I either had to have a special item or just incapacitate them in a more creative way. Well, unfortunately, I didn't pay attention to that, and when I shot him with a concussion uh, shotgun, uh, this group of uh, guards, one bullet bounced back and hit me and knocked me out, all right? <laughs> well, okay. whenever uh, you get knocked out, the guards, they don't kill you. Instead, they just pick you up, carry you to the airlock, and jettison you out into space. And then you have to quickly swap control to your uh, stealth pod and try to recover yourself before you, you know, suffocate in space. You know, no biggie, right? But anyway. Right. I was in this rather large room, and in this room was also a fuel barrel. Well, my character had a vengeful tag on him that whenever he got knocked out, essentially he dropped a concussion grenade. Well, my character got knocked out, the concussion grenade dropped to the ground, and the NPC that had the shield on, which was also my capture target, started to walk over to pick me up to carry me out. Uh, the concussion grenade set off the fuel barrel. The fuel barrel exploded the room, which uh, caused both me and my capture target to... Jessing down to space. I swapped control to my pod, went over, picked, scooped up my capture target, and then got myself up. Mission complete. I go back home. <laughs> Everybody got up. See, I totally meant to do that, right? <laughs> yep. And that kind of gives you an idea of how wacky things get. There's uh, uh, gadgets that allow you to swap places with NPCs so you can like shoot down a hallway. And then swap a high-value target for another. Or uh, you may be getting shot at and you swap yourself with another uh, NPC. So they they end up shooting their comrades or shooting themselves even. Uh, there's uh, more mundane stuff like copying key cards at, from a distance. There's guards that will have a, a, heat, uh, well, a heat signature device. 
that whenever they you're in range, they're able to detect you, even though they may not have line of sight. There's uh, guards that uh, put down jamming devices that you have to either uh, deal with or just uh, work around. There's a lot of stuff here, and the thing is that it's constantly unlocking more stuff. So I mentioned the progression system. As you do these random missions, which uh, vary from just a simple, you know, capture the ship to, you know, break into the brig and capture some, or rescue someone to uh, just go in and steal some cargo, you start building up these liberation points. And once you hit, fill up the meter, you essentially liberate this one particular you know, station. And it adds it to your network of uh, home bases. And each time you do that, it unlocks more stuff that could pop up in the item shop, more stuff that could pop up during the missions, but also it unlocks new modifiers. So one of the first ones I got was a bloodless modifier. So if I got a mission that is bloodless, well, if I take a lethal weapon and I shoot someone, I fail the mission. So it causes the whole dynamic to change and makes me rethink what weapons I want to take, what uh, items I want to take, because, oh, well, I have this uh, grenade uh, launcher that I can just launch down a hallway. Oh, crap, I'm on, that's a bloodless mission. I can't take that anymore. Or another one is no witnesses. So and it's kind of the opposite, where if I want to succeed in the mission, I have to leave no one that saw me. It doesn't mean I have to kill everyone. I could just play it for pure stealth. But anyone that sees me is dead. So it throws in some interesting dynamics there. Uh, there's... An, I'm trying to think of what the other modifier I unlocked was. And occasionally you also get these random liberation missions. I'm, I can't remember the other modifier I've unlocked so far. Where... Instead of just building up the liberation meter and then choosing your station that you want to grab, it automatically fully unlocks a station. And what you have to do is you fight your way to the bridge, any means necessary, kill the pilot, which unfortunately means you in this case, because I just took your step. Oh, sad day. Then you take the ship, send it to an uh, enemy uh, station, and cause it to overload its engines to generate an EMP pulse uh, so that your faction can quickly go grab the station while it's offline. Oh, and if you happen to be on the ship uh, while you do that, you die, so you have to uh, escape, usually within 10 seconds, so it means, oh, shoot out a, a window and fly into space and then go pick yourself up with a pod. I, I think the main reason why I like this, outside of just the roguelike nature of it, where, you know, it's... Uh, turns into almost a puzzle game of okay this uh, group of guards or it looks like they're uh, watching this section of the ship if i uh, time it right i could avoid that is the pause mechanic and that's something that i found that i don't have a lot of patience for stealth games in that usually they are you know as soon as you're detected you're dead even on the harder missions here if you're detected uh, they'll start a countdown timer and you may have to, okay, you may have to go rush the uh, the bridge and kill the captain to stop the reinforcements coming in. Or uh, you have a timer to complete your mission, otherwise you fail. So 
You either com- uh, complete it quickly or you shoot on a window and escape. Or on some missions, particularly some of the uh, daily missions, uh, they're uh, called glitch missions that whenever you get injured, you're essentially automatically ter- teleported away. They're considered riskless, but they're usually extremely difficult. There's a lot of enemies that have very advanced weaponry, uh, a lot of uh, extra kit. Some uh, uh, some enemies may require very specific ways to deal with. And it turns into a very interesting sort of puzzle game because of it. Of just boarding the ship, pausing, and then taking a look and trying to figure out, okay, how am I going to approach this? Which hasn't really uh, struck me before in a stealth game like this. Maybe it's just because of the change of perspective, so I'm able to see a lot more of what's going on instead of hiding in a corner somewhere. But also, maybe it's just the fact that I could pause and take my time in planning out stuff. And this is before you start getting into the more crazy mechanics of, okay, well, this ship is going to be a bit of a pain to try to deal with. What I'm going to do is I'm going to launch a grenade down the hallway Explode that fuel barrel. When the fuel barrel explodes, it uh, explodes the uh, room. I'll go back to my pod, fly around the ship, duck at the now destroyed room, and use that as a new uh, entrance point. And it's just been a lot of fun of just seeing what I get. And there's also a legacy system that happens as well. So uh, whenever you... Uh, get to a certain point where your character no longer is gaining progression. Essentially, they're too famous that nobody wants to follow mm-hmm. their banner anymore uh, uh, in liberating the galaxy. You could do a personal mission to retire that character, and then you take one of the items and you enter it into essentially the uh, the relic pool. And your characters could find relics from your previous characters, but also, it enters into the multiplayer server. So, let's say you're playing Heat Signature. You may find Caffeine Rage's gun of motherfucking killing. And no, I'm not joking. That was actually a gun I found at one point. Not my gun, but it was a relic gun from someone else. And it was like very loud. It shoots 20 pellets in a uh, arc. All in, I should say, this is also sort of similar to how um, Super Hot works, where... If enemies take damage, it pretty much kills them, but there's usually ways around it. Like, some enemies may be armored, so they may take two shots. Some have shields. Uh, some are uh, hidden behind jammers, that sort of thing. But it, it enters a mechanic of where you don't feel like you have to hold on partic- to particular things because it throws you extra things all, all the time. On some of the ships, you'll find loot boxes. So you go over and crack open essentially a treasure chest and find like, okay, well, here's a glitch item that's a teleporter that you're able to teleport uh, another enemy to another location. Well, I need to kill that guy. And there's nothing stopping me from using the teleporter to teleport him into into the cold uh, vast of space, is there? Well, let's do that instead of having to deal with the half a dozen guards between me and him. And they take little jabs at, like, loot boxes as well. Like, in the item shop, there's uh, a item called Outrageously Expensive Loot Chest. 
or something similar to that, that you open it up and there's a random gadget in it. <laughs> That's usually a pretty good deal, actually. Uh, there's various ships that you're able to eventually get, so you're not stuck with just the little starter ship. You get one that you could essentially just ram into an enemy ship to destroy a room uh, to create a new docking station, or a new airlock, I should say. Because whenever a room gets destroyed, it essentially puts up a force field to try to protect the rest of the ship's atmosphere. Uh, as you unlock stations, you get more items. You, I started to see more shotguns, more uh, non-lethal stuff as well. It's been a lot of fun of just seeing what I get because of how the uh, uh, random generation works. It, it has felt fairly fair. It hasn't been a situation outside of one instance where it's been an impo- felt like an impossible task, but that was also a daily challenge. So that's kind of the you know the exception to the rule anyway. But that may just be you know I'm not particularly skilled at it yet. But yeah, it's been a lot of fun so far. I've only put a few hours into it, so not a terrible amount of time, but it definitely has the continues to feel that gunpoint had of being rather silly but still having a rather serious amount of gameplay and a lot of custom or a lot of options to go into where you know, you're able to kind of devise your own solution depending on the items that you have and your own creativity it sounds very interesting and dynamic, like yeah. the amount of options that you have at your disposal to tackle Yeah, sometimes it happens problems. Like, by accident. Sometimes you know, you could uh, able to do something by design, and it, uh, and it just turns out to be you know, so awesome when it, a plan comes together, you know? Uh, like, my big thing is uh, if I'm dealing with an enemy that has, or a large group of enemies, you, know, you could shoot past them shoot out the window and suck the entire group of enemies out into the, the vast of space, right? Yeah. And uh, the random generation for uh, the player characters are it's pretty interesting where uh, you'll get some that's like filthy rich, so you start with an obscene amount of money, but because of that, you don't get as much glory because you know, you're expected to do well. Others may... Uh, uh, be wimps so whenever they take uh, damage there's no chance to try to rescue them with the pod you're just dead I'm just looking through here at some of the other stuff uh, there's uh, items that you could do to uh, or uh, use to uh, hijack uh, sentry turrets so instead of being against you they'll suddenly turn on, their, uh, on the guards and start shooting people there's uh, all sorts of fun little gadgets, and this is only the base stuff before I start really unlocking stuff. Is there an inspector gadget? Well, I haven't unlocked one yet. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize the inspector gadget was uh, Michael Jackson. Well, your sense of humor is uh, even sicker than usual. <laughs> See, that's Michael Jackson. My kid also likes Inspector Inspector Gadget. There's a new, well, a newer Inspector Gadget mm-hmm. on Netflix. It's not too bad. I I still prefer the old older cartoon, but 
<clears throat> the new one's not terrible. Yeah, I'm just looking at some of the clauses on here. There's, uh, like, uh, pacifist, so you can't even hurt the enemies. Uh, I haven't activated, or haven't gotten that one yet. There's a ghost clause, which I'm assuming means being completely unseen, so more traditional uh, stealth game. Uh, <laughs> white knuckle extraction. Uh, catch a rescue target in your pod while they're suffocating in space. <laughs> nice. I like the uh, the name of that white knuckle extraction. Yeah, I'm just looking at some of these. Uh, um, uh, oh, uh, there is one thing that the tutorial didn't tell me that I kind of discovered the hard way was that uh, enemies uh, they talk about how your ship is practically invisible to uh, larger ships. Practically does not mean completely. So, I overshot a airlock at one point, and the way the uh, ship handling is, it's on two, uh, a 2D plane, and you uh, right-click to uh, essentially put on the brakes, and if you're following uh, closer to, uh, close enough to a ship, it stops relative to the ship, so it matches speed and uh, heading, which is a nice, I might add. And left-click is just dressed in that direction to fly away. Or fly towards or something. Well, I overshot the airlock. And I kind of uh, went in front of a sensor. And the sensor saw my ship and it opened fire. <laughs> That's how I know about the repair mechanic <laughs> for the pods. Uh, but yeah, I need to watch out for that. Because that, that's something that they don't tell you about at all in the tutorial. But I think that's more by design of, well, let's leave a few things of interest to the player to find, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I think that is pretty much it for Heat Signature. It's definitely worth a pickup at the price it's at right now, which is... I have to go back to the store page now because I don't recall the price. It's like 6 bucks, uh, uh, $5.09. So, yeah, definitely worth the pickup there. Uh, especially if you played Gunpoint and really enjoyed it, but wish, you know, you could be kicking people in through windows in space. It'll be interesting to see what happens whenever I unlock a lot more of the mission mechanics. Because uh, right now they're kind of trickle-feeding through the Liberation System more and more mechanics. Which I think is a good way to go about it, actually. Because you're in danger of overwhelming someone if you have too many types of of, uh, missions right away. And it also gives a good chance to really learn the systems if you don't have to deal with, okay, well, now you can't kill anyone on this mission. Good luck. Uh, there, There is one, like, minor bugbear, but it's uh, the way they handle the stash uh, for the various characters. There's no shared stash. I mean, I understand why they do it. They want all the characters to be disposable. So, you know, you do... You know, all that character stuff is their stuff. It's not, you know, giving it to the calls. But at the same time, it's really sad to get something really cool and then, you know, hold on to it and like, oh, I gotta retire this guy now. Or he died. That's the other thing. Because permadeath. Because roguelite, right? Right. But it kind of addresses the whole idea of too good to use as well. Where... Something is so powerful, so awesome that you never want to use it. Well, 
for most games like uh, well, Path of Exile is a good example as I hit the mic again uh, where you just put uh, find something that's absolutely amazing so you put it in the shared stash I'll use it later and later it never comes uh, the Elder Scrolls series is another bad example of uh, that for me for where oh, I got this uh, potion of awesomeness I'm going to go put this on my shelf and I'm going to use it someday and then come back uh, two years later, game time, and there's this layer of dust where I can't even read the label, right? I, I'm not someone who has that particular problem. I used to, but I got to the point where it's like, you know what? I'm just going to use cool stuff when I get it. So, like, anytime well, I get, like, power weapons and well, stuff, Also, like, the Elder Scrolls uh, series is probably not the greatest example because, let's be honest, the game is brain dead at times. Uh, and, and also, combat. you can just eat your... Yeah. You eat your body weight in cheese wheels and you'll be okay. Yeah. Maybe that's why they don't have bathrooms in the Elder Scrolls series. Uh, everybody's so constipated that they can't poop anymore. Huh, how about that? We learned about uh, the Elder Scrolls series. Perpetual constipation. Hey, it does explain Todd Howard. He is full of shit. But um. I don't really have any questions to ask. You've done an excellent job explaining it. It sounds very interesting and like I want to check it out. I was kind of on the fence before, but listening to you talk about it definitely makes it seem interesting. Uh, to so you're going to grab it this sale or next sale? Uh, probably the next sale. And you always see, yeah, and occasionally but... there's uh, you know you'll just see ships flying around that you know you're on a mission. You could go uh, steal a ship anyway and get some uh, monies for it. Um. You could run into guards that have really cool stuff that you could steal. Uh, they have a item teleporter that's kind of nice, so you don't have to physically walk over and pick up something. Let's say you launch that grenade down the hallway, and you, you know that one guard had the key card. Well, if you go down there, you know you're still going to be in line of the turret. Well, you just teleport it to you because teleportation, right? It's like a point six second cooldown on it. That's one thing is that a lot of the items are based around their cooldown rate. So a uh, shotgun uh, may have a fast or fire or quick fire uh, modifier on it. A very uh, Borderlands-esque or very Diablo-like where things have uh, a prefix and a suffix uh, possibility. So you may get a quick fire uh, shotgun or a quick fire silent shotgun that is, well, well, not technically silent. That's the other thing is that they went realistic with what a silenced weapon is. So, a loud weapon, especially a loud shotgun, uh, pretty much the entire ship pierces it, alright? Let's be perfectly honest. Unless you're uh, attacking, like, this giant capital ship, you fire off a uh, loud uh, shotgun, everybody's gonna hear it. You fire off a normal shotgun, less people will hear it, but, you know, it's still a pretty good uh, radius. You fire off a silenced one, it still has a couple room radius, but it's not, you know, James Bond, and it's done, right? And also, because of the spread, it could uh, take out multiple enemies, uh, much like a realistic shotgun, actually. It, this is kind of one of the weird, realistic uh, maulings of a shotgun that I've seen. Uh, typically, it's like hot damage, really concentrated shot. And this, you know, it spreads out fairly uh, wide and it's lethal at a pretty long range. Kind of weird. Uh, so much more 
uh, I was saying kind of weird. The game where people are being kicked through windows in space it also has realistic shotguns. Yeah. I mean, from a game balance perspective, it makes sense to make shotguns much shorter, only effective at much shorter ranges, but they're they're decently effective at, I won't say medium range, but definitely more than 10 feet in front of your face. Yeah, I mean, if they're going to make uh, shotguns so cartoonish, why don't they just have it where if an enemy's right in your face, they just put their finger in your barrel and the gun blows up. <laughs> uh, but it only hurts you yeah. and not them. You get yeah, banana peels back. Soot. Uh, but you can't go full Looney Tunes because then you'll end up with blackface and then you're just going to get lynched on Tumblr. Touche. But uh, any questions on uh, Heat signature, uh, signature? I think I'm pretty much done with it for now. I still have a lot of gameplay to go with it. Because like I said, I've only played a few hours of it and it feels like I'm just scratching, uh, scratching the surface of you know, what's here. There is daily quests that pop up that are sometimes get a little crazy and they uh, the daily quest today through a couple mechanics i hadn't ran into yet so yeah that tells me that there's definitely a lot of stuff still left to go yeah i don't i don't think i have any any questions or anything and it's also kind of funny that the uh, uh there's oh i'm trying to think of the word that they used one of the characters i generated uh there was uh, it's his personal quest. Uh, it's listed as very easy. Uh, unambitious. His uh, character trait was unambitious, and uh, the uh, thing was, your personal quest is very easy. <laughs> so you could retire him pretty quickly, without him just dying. And the thing is, you want to retire characters because it enters, you know, items into the, uh, in the item pool a lot more. So. You know, you can get more shotguns, you can get more stuff. And also, you know, it makes it so that your friends can uh, start finding stuff. But yeah, it's just, uh, it has that sort of British sense of humor that I really didn't highlight, but all the game mechanics come together. It reminds me a lot of Divinity Original Sin, where it's a lot of very simple mechanics, but they're done really well and mesh really well that it feels so satisfying. And that would be it for me. Cool. No, no, no. Heated two and two. Okay, very hot. Uh, uh, You would say super hot then. Super, super (laughs) hot. (laughs) I don't think you were going for that, but let's uh, go for it anyway, right? And we are back. And the first thing to cover after games we played is we're just going to talk about the Steam Summer Sale a little bit this year. Yeah, it Um, was kind of a clusterfuck there in in the beginning, wasn't it? (laughs) Yeah. So it's the Grand I'm... Prix this year. And uh, they weren't exactly clear on a few things. And there's a few head scratchers, to be perfectly honest. On the plus side, not the worst summer sale we saw this year. Because I bought some games and I wasn't locked out of my account. <laughs> Sick burn. Epic. Take that. You mean an epic burn? Touche. Touche. Uh, this is more just sort of the meta game is kind of blah this year. So typically it's been go through the discovery queue a few times and you get a, a few cards and you get cards for buying a certain amount of games and you can combine them into a badge. And there's usually some sort of 
uh, minor uh, game around it. There was a clicker one year. One year there was an achievement hunt. Uh, that sort of thing. This year they did away with the trading cards completely, which is the first time since the marketplace they've done that, as far as I can recall, for a major sale. I'm not talking about the autumn sale or the you know, uh, Halloween sale or whatever. But for a summer and winter sale to not have cards is weird. Yeah. What they've done, they did this at the Chinese New Year thing that they did earlier this year. Yeah, but that even Which that was get... uh, some sort of achievement hunt, wasn't it? Uh, I don't remember how you actually got the tokens, actually. But they had the token system, and you could purchase all of the chat icons and backgrounds and things using the tokens. Yeah, I'm having to look up how the tokens are, are handled. And wow, uh, Team Hair just shot ahead. That's Yeah, they are winning this one hardcore. Yeah, and that's kind of been the other thing, is that uh, the way they did the Grand Prix itself was that there's five teams, uh, all animal-based. Hare, Tortoise, Corgi, Parakeet, and Pig. And on the first day, of the, or whenever you... Well, I shouldn't say the first day, but most people the first day... When you went to the Grand Prix the first time, you were prompted to choose a team. And I would say 80, 90% of people chose Corgi. Me, I just clicked on the middle one uh, because it was uh, in the, uh, yeah, I had a slight lead. And then everybody went with the one that had the slight lead, so it went to a major lead. Yeah, Corgi has won six of the seven races so yeah, far. Yeah, it looks like they're... I'm on team... Yeah, it looks like they're in... Uh, well, I, I'm on team Corgi, and it looks like this will be the second loss, but it'll still be second place, unless something radical happens. Yeah. I'm on team Tortoise, who has done the second best so far. But we're... Fourth. Looks like... Tortoise is currently fourth, yeah. But that's only by a hair... Uh, <laughs> so tortoise might be last uh, but today. the way it works is that as you uh you're able to gain boost points this is where uh, the, uh, the entire system kind of get com- uh, got complicated and they strained it out a little bit but even then eh. so you were given a, a set amount of boost points based on the amount of money that you spent between the lunar sale and uh the release of the summer sale plus whatever lunar tokens were remaining and you had that amount of boost to spend achievement points on or do quests so like uh, mud runner knock down a tree uh, squash pumpkins path of exile uh, activate a legion monolith uh, com- uh, complete a yellow or red map that sort of thing Stardew Valley was the one I was doing for a little bit because in the beginning it wasn't clear how to unlock the achievements you've already done. And also in the beginning, whenever you did uh, use the points from achievements that you've already done, uh, you would discard the remaining. So for like Warframe, which is one of the games I had the most achievement points for, it would I would get two thousand some or not even two thousand it's one thousand for the max, and then I would throw away like forty some thousand points remaining. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I had like 30,000 something points for Battletech, another 20 or 30 something thousand points for Factorio and and others, but they fixed that to where that it doesn't where it didn't overdraw your points. Yeah, they actually said uh, it was just play for a half an hour to be able to activate them. Uh, because before that was uh, play any game for 30 minutes or more during the Grand Prix to earn points for your achievements. They didn't have that line before, so it was you know, ambiguous on you know what exactly constituted being able to use the points that you uh, had for your already completed achievements. Uh, people uh, got confused for some reason with delisting indie games because the top three teams, random members from the team that contributed that day, uh, would get one of the games that were on the top three of their uh, 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 wish list. Which I'm not sure if it corresponds. Like right now, here is in the lead. So would they, would the random members of that get the first place, or would it be any of theirs? It's you know that that's not clear. But it may also be just the fact that we've you know this is not our first rodeo. So whenever they've done a giveaway yeah. like this, it's always been you know your top or your top three or your top ten, that's something like that. So. There was people uh, delisting indie games because they thought it would make it more likely for them to get a AAA game. But let's be perfectly honest, it's extremely rare to even get a game because, you know, these teams are absolutely massive to begin with. Let alone, you know, being on like Team Corgi or uh, probably Team Hair right now because Team Hair did all right as well, didn't it? Um, Hair is third. In the overall standings, they've got four podium finishes and zero wins. Yeah, but the thing is, it's just Tortoise podium has finishes. got one win and five podiums. Uh, but what? it's just podium finishes that matter. Yeah, you just have to be in the top three. So, yeah. So, uh, and also, in order to increase the amount of boost that you could do to increase your team's speed, uh, the only way to do it at the beginning was to spend uh, money in the Steam Summer Sale. And they eventually added to that where they added a one-time quest that you get 2,000 points for. And using those to uh, burn the achievement points, it gives you co- tokens that you could use like we're in the Lunar Sale where you uh, have essentially an extra shop that you could go into and get uh, emotes, you could get backgrounds and if you spend a lot of money you're able to get a five dollar discount <laughs> but yeah unfortunately which i used to buy you know, i didn't spend enough money so if i held on to every single one of my tokens i would just make it but honestly it's not that big right yeah it's i mean five dollars is still five dollars but um you know, it's not, that's not like world changing mm-hmm. or anything. Oh, yeah. The only reason I had enough at all, I think, is because of also buying X4. I actually, no, I might have just squeaked it in. I actually, no. According to this, uh, I've earned, on top of my bonus and what I got for the uh, Game Club games that we'll talk about later, uh, just over 14,000. So, 100 a day, uh, I wouldn't have enough. So, you know, spend more or uh, maybe do one of the uh, one-time quests and I would cut it close for, like, the last day. 
Yeah. But even then, that's 15,000 points with 100 a point. That's quite a bit. <laughs> or a hundred, a uh, uh, dollar per hundred points, I should say. And every day you get a hundred yeah. point uh, boost that you could, you know, cash in. It felt very uh, haphazardly put together. It, they put Band-Aid fixes on it, but this is this has to be the weakest uh, summer sale event I've seen. Yeah. I think and so. It's not just the fact that we great. have, uh, you know, both of us have really good libraries, so you know a good chunk of the sales aren't great for us because yeah you know, we have a lot of what we want. It's just you know usually there's some sort of fun meta game about it or you know a little mini game going on. This time it's just spend. I think that this is maybe their most in depth mini game in terms of like how far it goes and it's like there's different stuff every day. But I think that they took that aspect of it a little bit too far. Because my two favorite ones were the board game one that they did. Uh, what was the board game And And um, uh, it was three or maybe four years ago. And you picked a team. And every day, based on how much how much the teams interacted with doing, like, the discovery cues. And on, like, because this was when they were still doing, like, the daily deals and the ones that changed out every hour and stuff like that or not every hour every eight hours your team got points for like voting on those and buying and stuff and the more you spent the farther your piece moved forward on the board every day yeah i forgot about that one but that one and then the one that was like an idle game game was my two favorites interesting because there were certain uh like groups that would build up around those this it's been you know just you know whoever happens to be on a particular team, they have introduced things where, like, you know, th- occasionally you'll see get a random drop whenever you put tokens in, or boost in, I should say, to uh, maybe switch your team or to slow down another team. So you could imagine, you know, you know what team has been being hit a lot. I, I do wonder what caused uh, Team Hare to jump forward like that. Because they have been touring around with the ratios as well behind the scenes, trying to even things out. Because the teams are horrendously unbalanced yeah oh yeah i i mean i almost picked team corgi but i was like nah tortoise is my favorite color i don't give a shit if i get any free games i mean that would be cool but i have so many games in my library that's not a huge deal so i gotta gotta represent plus i owned a turtle once as a pet good old jeff there, there was that, a that was there was name. a wild turtle that was in my yard at one point uh Ate all the uh, tomato vines. Pissed my parents off. I like turtles. Um, but anyway, I mean, I have seen people. Uh, yeah, it's just talk about uh the uh, you know getting games. So yeah, you know, it definitely happens. But but anyway, uh, you were saying. I was just gonna say, yeah, it's been. I mean, it's a neat idea. You know, I we're criticizing it, but I mean, I like that Steam throws out stuff like this just to to give it a shot. But as far as their little ideas for this sort of thing goes, it's pretty weak overall. I think they just way overcomplicated it. Like I was saying, like they've had different tracks and different backgrounds every day, and like lots of different animations and stuff, and all that's nice. But you know, if they you want to make it a good fun mini game, focus on the mini game. Well, also, aspect. I think the fact that they made it essentially pay to participate. It uh, made it so that 
okay, well, I'm not going to spend a bunch of money every day. So, you know, I'm pretty much uh, clicking two things and I'm ignoring the entire thing. Yeah, in previous ones, there's been more that you can interact with to get more of the, I don't know, free cards or whatever the thing Yeah, and that's the other past. thing is, you know, uh, there's no card just around, uh, around this time. So, you know, uh, usually you, you could get a couple bucks uh, just by getting the cards. But this time, nope. Uh, yeah. Part of me wonders um, if that's part of the reason why they uh, didn't do the cards this time around was that people were getting the... Uh, the stuff from uh, the marketplace. Maybe. I've always been into the badges, but you can get the badge. Yeah, you can get this, um, uh, the badges as well. I did get rank one with the badge. I'll probably end up My get... rank with the badge is 15. See, I haven't put any points in the badge outside of just the first one, mostly because you know, I only bought, what was it, like 20 bucks worth of games? I know, only 20. Yeah. But I bought all the emoticons. Um, didn't buy any of the backgrounds. I don't really care that much for the backgrounds on Steam. So yeah, I think there's I just too much for junk those. in the way of the backgrounds. It's uh, hard to really care that much about them. Yeah. I do wonder what's going on with the race now, though. I mean, looks like uh, hair is just taken off. I wonder if they've gotten a whale. Which kind of... <laughs> Well, it does kind of tie into that one talk, huh? Yeah, I mean, th- I mean, this, maybe they I mean, did. this is kind of the uh, yeah the whale's domain, isn't it? Yeah, spend the most money, get the most points, go the farthest. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is one fast turtle, though. I mean, I'd be fast too if I was driving a an almost mad mess, mad max esque style van. <laughs> But anyway, uh, anything to really talk about here? I mean, the deals have been okay. I mean, the, uh, the as soon as they got rid of the daily, or not the daily deals, well, yeah, the daily deals, but also the, you know, the voted on you have quarterly deals. The flash, flash sales, sales or yeah. whatever. You know, that's kind of, that was kind of the end of the crazy deals on the Steam sale, just because publishers don't want to have, you know, that big a sale for, you know, two weeks. Yeah. Well, there's definitely good deals out there. Yeah. I mean, just always shop around and exercise. If you're really looking for the best deal, exercise a little bit of restraint, a little bit of caution. Check out other places that might be having sales. Hey, Uno's on sale. Whoa! Uno! Dulce. Trace. Quattro. (sighs) Yano. Uh, Cinco. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, we just wanted to talk about the sale a little yeah, bit. I don't know yeah, anything it's else more, to say about um, that. I feel like we covered all the bases. I think this is more equal airtime because it would feel wrong if we bitched about the epic sale and then, you know, kind of just swept, uh, you know, the craziest that is the Steam Summer Sale under the rug. Yeah, but I'll take the Steam Sale over the epic sale any day. I mean, a functional uh, shopping cart goes a long way, doesn't it? It does. Not getting your account banned for buying more than one thing. Uh-oh, somebody bought two games. We don't have that many good games on uh, Epic. Shut them down. It must be fraud. Abort. Oh, no, in Alabama. Oh, now I'm sad. (laughs) 
What, sad because uh, you're choosing life? <laughs> sad because I can't fuck life. Fuck you, life. Well, well, at least with that attitude. Speaking of that attitude? Uh, I don't... That's sure. Let's sure. go with that. <laughs> <laughs> Multiple video <laughs> games get TV adaptations. So we had... Yeah, this is a, a really strange one. Uh, the stars aligned, and we had three that showed up on yeah. the docket. Uh, Final Fantasy fourteen, Mist, and Ticket to Ride. I guess Ticket to Ride is more of a board game, but there is a video game, video game versions of it. So, just chucked it in there. Yeah, so we'll allow it. But yeah, all three of these are getting TV adaptations in one form or another. Uh, Ticket to Ride is going to be a reality show that is. Uh, very much like shit. You said the name of the show earlier. Yeah, the Amazing, Amazing Race. Race. That's at least that's what it sounds like based on the description. Because right, they're talking about being teams traveling from you know a start position to a destination. Um, which that's okay. That makes sense. Yo, know, just yo, know, yo, know, just like yo, know, just like the uh, board yeah. game, right? Um, as long as they have to use trains the whole way. Getting somewhere using exclusively trains and, I guess, walking. That would be interesting. But Mist, Mist is the one that seems the most interesting to me. Like, Final Fantasy, you know, there's story material there to be adapted and not... Well, see, I don't know the story of Final Fantasy fourteen, so I'm not sure what to think about this, but live action is... A little strange because just think of the ozone layer above the shooting, uh, uh, above the set because all the hairspray. I'm very excited to see how B movie esque this TV show is going to be. Oh, oh, it's going to be terrible. Let's be perfectly honest. As long as it's terrible in a good way, you know, funny, bad. It goes so, it becomes so bad it's good. As long as I can laugh at it. And not just be bored, then I'll take it. Oh well, let's just put it this way. Uh, well, uh, translating Final Fantasy XIV to live action won't be Hobmind's only game related project. Uh, Hobmind is also working on an adaptation of The Witcher, which, as well as uh, Amazon's uh, The Expanse described as Ford says, the Games of Thrones in space, because everything's going to be Game of Thrones. Oh now, yeah, right. Does that mean it's going to have a disappointing uh, Probably. Season, Game of Thrones other, right? sounds like it's become like the Dark Souls of other stuff. It's the Dark Souls of uh I of mean, Game TV. of Thrones is going to be the Dark Souls of video games, though, because the whatever George R. R. Martin's new game is, is being made by the same people who made um, Dark Souls, Bloodborne, Demon Souls. So... Looks well, like they're at least going to have Chocobos in this, uh, the Final Fantasy uh, show. So hey, it's going to be more Final Fantasy than that it's gonna movie. Going to have ostriches, I guess. <laughs> ostriches spray painted yellow. I could get behind that. <laughs> that would be funny. Up until an ostrich gets mad and pecks somebody's eye out. Yeah, but imagine uh, shame it's not Final Fantasy Seven. Then they'll spend an entire arc trying to get the ostriches to fuck. <laughs> Oh yeah, and then uh, of course uh, rejecting uh, the ones that come out the wrong color. I mean that sounds racist somehow. Because it is. <laughs> yeah, but it's birds, so it doesn't count, right? 
No, it still counts. Where, where's this whispering voice coming from? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Being weird. But back to my original point. Uh, oh, so you're so you're back to normal. Back to Sorry. my original point. Mist. I mean, not that Mist doesn't have a story or anything. I just don't know how you adapt that into a TV show or a movie. Uh, Mist has lore more than a story, doesn't it? Uh, yes. I, I've played Mist. There's more than one Mist, though, and I I I, I do like this. Uh. Now, the motion picture company that also co-produced the Matrix series, Sherlock Holmes series, Happy Feet, and the Lego movie <laughs> will take on the property for both film and television. That's quite the game. That's a widespread. You know? Just adjusted my microphone. I, I'm sorry. I just saw the list here, and it was just... Amazing. There's not a lot here talking about what the actual well, movie and film, because this is both. I think. Do you think the film is going to be like you know, a static image for you know, like 30 seconds while the audience has to figure out what the one clickable thing is? That would be interesting. <laughs> not sure how that would work, but it would be funny to watch. <laughs> No, 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 move the cursor left. No, 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 your other left. See, that because they uh, had the Matrix series. Yeah. <laughs> but I... I could picture this working more as a TV series. Like, I'm thinking kind of like Lost or something like that. But maybe doesn't end so badly. Or, or what about even uh, sort of X-Files? Yeah, I could see that too. Inv- investigating the island. I could see that. I don't know how this works as a movie. Even even with this sort of amount of story that's in it, like just the type of game that it is, I don't see how you make that into a movie. But I'm sure that they're going to try something to make some money off of it. It kind of reminds me of one of my favorite little bits of movie trivia, the Clue movie. Uh, where they had multiple versions of the movie that released yep. the theaters. So you didn't even know what version of the movie you'd get uh, that night. I wonder if they could do something like that with these. You know, like uh, Mist being completely different. That would be point. interesting. Oh, they could do it like um, Bandersnatch on Netflix, make it a choose-your-own-adventure type of, of show. That would be cool. I could see that happening. I mean, Netflix has been toying around with it, but they said specifically TV, not Netflix. That's fair. Even though they're almost synonymous at this point. At least with younger people. The kids these days. And they and they should also get off my lawn. Um, I hope they're good. You know, I mean, uh, it's kind of a shame to see Ticket to Ride just becoming a reality show, though. I mean, if they handled that differently i could see it you know like uh, uh, uh a bunch of tycoons and make make ticket to ride the game of thrones of board games. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds amazing though like watching a bunch of uh, a bunch of uh railroad tycoons in the like uh late 1800s uh try to t- uh, split up the united yeah. states i'm thinking and in- i just sold instead of game of thrones i'm thinking <laughs> mad men but otherwise, yeah, just that. Railroad moguls in boardrooms 
arguing and yelling and backstabbing and corporate espionage and and occasionally cutting off uh, someone else's line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd be all in on that. I'm sold. I want that. Yeah. Uh, do we really need another reality no, show? No, but they make shitloads of cash and are cheap and relatively easy to produce. Uh, yeah. Compared to... And, and the public cobbles them up. Yeah. Compared to, air quotes, scripted TV. But, I mean, reality TV shows have scripts as well, so... I was about to say, like uh, reality shows uh, aren't, at least to some degree, predetermined. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying it's all, you know, 1950s quiz show going on, but at the same time, they definitely nudge uh, certain people, especially whenever it's, uh, you know, introduces more conflict... Boy, we just got full tinfoil we hat, did. didn't we? I'm not a big reality TV show guy. Never have been. Uh, only reality show I like is technically a reality show was Mythbusters. Yeah. Occasionally I'll watch like Ninja Warrior, American Ninja Warrior, stuff like that, but just very rarely. Yeah, I mean, the closest I've watched to reality shows is like an occasional uh, travelogue on uh, uh, on Netflix, and that's usually uh, disguised as a food show because that's because they can't seem to have cooking shows unless it's uh, the Great uh, British Bake Off, which don't get me wrong, I enjoyed, but at the same time, well, I guess that would be a reality show, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be. Yeah, but uh, Mary Berry is a national treasure. <laughs> we must uh, import her to the United States. I would love to do that. I don't watch the watch as much as you do, but I have seen it, and I like her. Uh, I've watched uh, pretty much the... I think I've watched the entire series that's on Netflix, so I'm waiting for the new one. Or maybe the uh, latest champ. I mean, uh, he's so precious, we, we must protect him. <laughs> <laughs> so, I want these shows to be good. Video game movies tend to suffer from just being bad overall. Also, I think uh, uh, another problem with uh, video game movies and their shows in as well is that Hollywood doesn't take them seriously. So yeah, they're kind of the back burner project. Yeah, they uh, they get yeah you know, they get the license for fairly cheap. Who knows how much they spent for Ticket to Ride? I would say that's probably the low ball. Uh, uh, either it or missed for the licensing yeah. here. So, you know, they just, uh, they got the license. They got to do something with it. A uh, reality show. You know, really no attempt to do anything with the license. Uh, I would imagine Mist is probably the same way. Final Fantasy may have enough pull in the public conscience to be able to get a little bit more respect. But even then, it's had a handful of movies. Uh, the first one, Spirits Within, it was an okay CGI movie, and an amazing graphics for its time, but it was a shit Final Fantasy movie. Yeah. I agree. Uh, the ones that continued the Final Fantasy VII story were okay, but they were uh, also very anime-esque. And I know that there's been another one that I, can't, that I just can't think of right now. There was Kingsglaive uh, that went that, along you know, with Final Fantasy Fifteen. 
Oh, okay. I I knew there was one for another one that I couldn't. That I was just blanking. I haven't on. seen that one. I've seen all the rest of them. I mean, I think maybe Final Fantasy may get enough respect where it has a chance to be decent, but it's a live action show for a Final Fantasy uh, universe that that's that's going to be a tough sell for me. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's doable. Don't get me wrong, but. It's, it has such a chance to be cheesy. I'd be interested, but mainly because of the chance of it to be cheesy. I like I like cheesy stuff, as we all know. But so think we're yeah, done I think here, so. or do you have no? Any I other think so. Thoughts? I was about to offer up the so. Are you ready to move on? Uh, suggestion. I mean, on the plus side, at least the Final Fantasy uh, series is going to employ a lot of budgets. Indeed. Right. Indeed. Um. So our next news topic, uh, EA struggles with the perception that they're just a bunch of bad guys. Are we the baddies? <laughs> the short answer is yes. The long answer is it's a little bit more complicated than that. So this is a relatively large had... article on gamesindustry.biz. Uh, uh, well, I would say uh, interview. Uh, yeah. Yeah, fair. And it's with the not the CEO, but one of the higher-ups talking about uh, being with EA for 25 years and struggling with... Internally, they're really good to their uh, own people as long as you're high enough up the food chain that you know, you're know you not getting fired after every single game, right? Yeah. But EA won the worst company in the world several years running. So it's that juxtaposition of how they view themselves versus how the public views them. And... I gotta say, yes, you treat your own once you're up a certain degree really well, but you're still baddies. You can be yeah. both. Yeah, the company right? overall, I think, is bad. Like, I genuinely believe that with all of the stuff that they do, loot boxes, firing, um, you know, layoffs after meeting and exceeding sales targets on certain things, the way that they manage a lot of their big projects. But that doesn't mean that all the people inside are bad. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, just looking at the uh, uh, chart of the studios in EA Origin Access Service, and, you know, part, part of me is like, oh, yeah, that's a really good uh, grouping of uh, studios. And the other part of me, uh, the part that's screaming a lot louder is, Boy, this is a graveyard listing waiting to happen for most of this, yeah, right? Yeah, can't wait for the news that EA has killed those studios. I mean, to be fair, I don't think they're going to kill Warner Brothers, but uh, yeah, there's a good chunk of studios here that they bought out that, yeah, EA is famous for killing off studios uh, that don't perform well on more than like one or two games. Yeah, which, you know, taints their... Which is their prerogative. Is, uh, I mean, I understand why they do it, because they are a publicly traded company, so, you know, the the stock price is their bread and butter. But at the same time, you know, there's this thing about, uh, weren't they the ones that hired fake protesters years ago to protest their own uh, Dante's yep, Inferno Yep, they did game? that for Dante's Inferno, and I think they did one for Dead Space as well. No, that was, uh, well, we're getting into the extra credits uh, video. Uh, that was the, your mom uh, wouldn't want you to play this game. 
Yeah. I thought they had protesters too, though. Maybe I'm just mixing up the Dante's Inferno ones with that one as well. But. I mean, I realize both of those are very old uh, things. So let's throw out a new one. Uh, how about we're really, uh, we really think it's quite ethical uh, for, for their surprise, surprise mechanics. mechanics. More commonly known as loot how boxes. Can, I mean, how could uh, uh, this guy uh, and, um, have a, uh, he's, uh, who is this anyway? I'm blanking on his name now. Uh, it's EA's Mac. Bibley. EVP, Executive VP, Matt, Matt Bill. Yeah, Executive VP. So, yeah, pretty hot the food chain. How could he look at that and think, why are we considered bad guys when their top income item is a sub-docket item for this about, uh, you know, loot boxes once again being linked to child gambling? when they're trying to defend uh, uh, this gambling mechanic. Or actually, it should have been a sub-talking. I think you removed that. I don't think so. And this is by accident. I thought I brought all of it up. Yeah, you did. Nope. Oops. I was going to go click on it, but... Um, but yeah, yeah, another study <laughs> shows uh, a link between childhood gambling and loot boxes. Or, no, I listened to their secondary heading. I was going to talk to you about adding that. Whoops. That, that's, that's my cool. bad. Um, I mean, there's a, a, a few reasons he could be. From a psychological perspective, he could have a lot of cognitive dissonance going on. There's a sort of... You get used to the way that things are for you. It's difficult to keep in touch with people who aren't what you are. And that goes both ways. But in this case, with him being a wealthy, powerful dude... In his mind, like, oh, yeah, we're we're fine as a corporation. We're cool. So, like, everyone should think we're cool. Why don't people think we're cool? And he doesn't tangibly... Uh, basically, outside of his monkey Yeah, he sphere. doesn't understand... Uh, hey, I'm throwing out another yeah. term, right? <laughs> but he doesn't understand, like, how the decisions are actually affecting others. It could be that they just don't give a shit. Corporate sort of greed or sort of, you know, he who ha- has the most toys wins and getting all this money through these systems is a good way to secure said toys, that sort of thing. Um, so, I mean, there's reasons that explain, I mean, they could explain uh, it. None of them are good reasons. None of them are a free pass, but there's reasons that could explain it. I mean, he is uh, the EVP of strategic growth at EA. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, he's definitely aware of, everything that's going on and he was also in the sports sector for quite a while i went to his linkedin page <laughs> so yeah yeah he's definitely been in the slum pit and i think that's a fair assessment of uh you know, uh ea sports these yeah, days he's in multiple slime pits i mean i definitely understand where he's coming from to a degree saying that he doesn't understand but it's the fact that he doesn't understand which makes them some evil motherfuckers. Yeah. Whether it's malicious intent or ignorance, both of them are really bad in on a scale this mm-hmm. large. But... Yeah, and him talking about uh, or worrying about going to E3 and promising the wrong thing. Yes, I get it. it you have uh, one of the loudest voices in the industry, and if you promise the wrong thing, 
you're going to get wrecked across the coals. But at the same time, you have this ability to wield this power for good to try to progress the industry in surprise mechanics. Very ethical surprise mechanics. Yeah, well, yet another study. I just brought it up to the top of the docket so you could see it. A study shows loot boxes linked with problematic gambling and minors. This was uh, the paper titled Adolescence and Loot Boxes Links with Problem Gambling and Motivations for Purchase. Which kind of ties into that other thing from the Jimquisition this week of let's go whaling. Hey, we get to bring it in after all. Um, So... Oh, that... uh, Speaking of slum balls, huh? So this Monday's Jimquisition was very long it's like 30 minutes actually it was more than 30 minutes i think it's the longest one he's ever done and i would encourage you if you listen to the show to go and listen to it it was 34 minutes 12 seconds and then go and watch another video which we'll link called let's go whaling which is a presentation that's done by someone that i don't really know who he is an executive for a mobile game company yeah i need to look up this guy actually uh uh, see what games he's but uh, he is the CEO of uh, Tribe Flame, so let me go look him up. But uh, in, in, the, in Let's Go Whaling, he discusses using a number of psychological uh, truths and also manipulations about how we as human beings typically work and utilizing those for monetization and, and corporate gain. And he, they do this thing where they dismiss how unethical all of this is at the very beginning of the video, oh. where it's like, we'll leave our ethics at the door and just talk about this stuff. I've actually done a Sunday sampler of one of their games. It was, uh, uh, it was this PC version, but it was Benji's uh, Banana Adventures. And thinking back on it, I could definitely see uh, how it was a, you know, as a mobile game, it definitely has that exploitative uh, possibility for it. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Let's go to their Google Play. Oh, look. They, I can't even find their Google Play right now. I wonder if that's by design. <laughs> Possibly. Possibly. Um, But it... But this is a talk from... uh, What was it? About three years ago? Yeah, it was now? two or three years ago. But, I mean, you can see all uh, of its the influence of it in most modern mobile games and see it more often in AAA, air quotes, AAA games now. I'm not going to do the funny voice. Yeah, it's... uh, I think it's more poignant that it's an older thing because looking back on it, it's a uh, roadmap for what has become. Yeah. So, yeah, it looks like they... uh, pulled all uh, their developer page and uh, like I went to Benji Bana- uh, Banana Ventures and it's quoting self-published now. I wonder how recent that is. No idea. Um, but anyways, we're, we've talked about most, if not all of the aspects of this whole gym position and um, the Let's Go Whaling video. Uh, we mostly just wanted to throw it up there and encourage you guys to watch it. This isn't stuff that we're, like, naive to, but whenever it gets pointed out so blatantly, it's just, like, 
fuck you guys. You know, it wells up some anger inside of you. At least it did me. Part of that's definitely... Uh, it just it just made me sick. Yeah. Part of that anger is... It, it made me feel just unclean, yeah. you know? Part of that anger is definitely informed by what I do. You know, watching people be psychologically manipulated is frustrating, to say the least. Because I know how harmful those sorts of tactics are to use on on people. So, keeping things in check with when I work with people is is very important. And this feels... I mean, it is. It's blatantly manipulative and abusive to the customer, consumer, person. Yeah, it's definitely... uh, It it takes the instrument that you use to try to heal and just, yep, ripping people's wallets out. Yeah. Um, There's a couple other things, though, that get mentioned in the article, talking about how EA funds indie games... Um. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. EA does have some good presence in the gaming uh, sphere, but that just gets so overshadowed by you know them fighting in Belgium to try to counteract the law for uh, gambling there. I mean, I, I know I'm hung up on loot boxes, but that's EA's big thing right now. Uh, them strong arming sports licensing uh, to kill off. Everything but uh, the Madden series uh, is another good example. Uh, having the Star Wars license and doing absolutely nothing with it for how long? Years, several years. And then several years in between Star Wars releases. Oh, it looks... Oh, uh, here's something interesting. I've been doing a little bit more digging for this uh, turd. Uh, the oh, not not the EA turd, the other turd, <laughs> and it looks like he, uh, and it looks like he did a uh, an interview on uh, PocketGamer.biz, which was where we have the uh, video mm-hmm. from, talking about. Sorry, I'm just making sure. It looks, yeah, it looks like he put in a small piece for. Uh, could all free-to-play mobile games benefit from a battle pass uh, like Clash of Clans has? I haven't read this. Let's see what he says. He has the shortest reply out of the half-dozen people that uh, replied to this. To point out a rather obvious thing, implementing a battle pass is a major undertaking and therefore relevant for the bigger budget games. I don't think we will see uh, any of the hyper-casual games with it anytime soon. Anyone uh, want to bet that it could work for single-player games? That's uh, that's his entire thing. Are you... I There was, like, a drop or something. It cut out for a second. I'm, I'm sorry, I missed the last thing that you said. Uh, uh, his last sentence was, Anyone want to bet uh, if it can work for single-player games? So essentially trying to push a battle pass mechanic into single-player games. Right just cramming that shit in there that we don't need that's what he wants to do though is to keep that train rolling EA sucks well no no this is the other one Tour of uh, Jernstorm yeah sorry I found a few of uh, his like responses to articles on pocketgamer.biz so I was looking through them 
he hasn't been exactly active the last few years. Makes me want to hunt down his LinkedIn and see if he's been doing anything or if he's, you know, been kind of turtling up. I mean, to be fair, yeah, this was from a few years ago, so. Actually, look, right there's his LinkedIn. Let's find out. Uh, it looks like he hasn't been doing a lot lately. So, and since his company seems to be linking to an old account, maybe his company died off. But hey, his uh, shitty practices uh, has lived on. Shitty practices live forever. Um, I'm, unless you've got anything else to add to this, I would suggest that listeners yeah, sorry, I was just... read the article for more full information. Even if you're not a big fan of Jim Sterling, please check out this week's Jimquisition. And yeah, he wasn't uh, as over the top as he was as usual because he is a lot more of a solemn topic. Yeah. So he uh, gave some information about uh, uh, various stories and uh, looking on Reddit uh, for the r slash games thread. There were some people, especially teachers coming out and talking about how it's a problem with youth. And that that's kind of the thing is that the uh, let's go whaling video. Uh, his big icebreaker joke was, what happens when a business tycoon and a chic uh, gets in a fight? The gaming industry wins. But it's not them. You know, it's the guys getting off work and, you know, that, that may have a gambling problem. It's the kid that doesn't understand the value of a dollar. It's someone that, you know, wants to try to keep up with their friends that, you know, have played the game longer. So, you know, they put in a few more bucks. Yeah. To say to say that it's only business tycoons and sheiks that are uh, what the gaming industry considers whales, and talking about the icebreaker deal of uh, price some uh, anchor the price at fifty dollars, then drop it down to fifteen, so it looks like a lot better deal, even though that's what you originally wanted to sell it for anyway. Oh, it's just oh, it makes me want to go delete every single thing off my phone that I haven't paid for, uh, for as a paid game. Me too. I go through and I delete that stuff every once in a while. Maybe it's time for another round. Time for a purge? Indeed. Time for a purge. A burning fire. <laughs> uh, so... Mo- Speaking yeah, of the purge? That's a, a weird way to segue to this, I guess, but... Well, we purged our wallets. <laughs> yeah, so for this week's Community Corner, we didn't have any emails... Um, but we did want to discuss the fact that we bought a number of games on Steam, specifically with Game Club in mind. So we're going to... Yeah, don't get me wrong. We may be playing some of these beforehand, yeah. but I'm eyeing off them right now because I'm not going to refund them because Game Club, right? right? But, um, you know, we're going to go ahead and let you guys know what they are in case you want to pick one up or all of them before the steam sale ends which is next tuesday so from day of recording a week from day of episode release that is one two three and a half days because it'll end at uh, uh, what is it, uh, noon pacific time uh, uh it uh, ends at 10 a.m pacific uh 1 p.m freedom so yes or Eastern Time. You'll have a, a couple of days over the weekend to pick these up. We should probably put this like in Game Club discussion or something as well. 
But anyway, I'm looking at your uh, buy list because you're the one that picked up one that I had already. Okay. And we'll just go in order. Do we want to talk about any of these in any detail or just... I don't think so. Uh, maybe a brief overview of what they are. Sure, we could do that. I don't have So, no... uh, Beat Cop is the first one on uh, your list, which is the one that I had that you didn't. Uh, Beat Cop is also pretty cheap right now. It's essentially a cop simulator plus papers, please. Some of the mechanics from that of increasing complexity and uh, detail-oriented tasks. It could be very interesting. I haven't played it yet, but it has a very low poly or low, uh, a very pixelated look. I shouldn't say low poly, but a pixelated, yeah, a old retro style look that looks very interesting. Yeah. Um, Next up is Sleeping Dogs Definitive Edition. This is the one we both had, but we bought the updated version. Essentially. Yeah, I mean it's it's Sleeping Dogs. Um, I think we've brought it up a couple times on the show, yeah. but think open world city, think GTA, but less crazy and weird, but also more crazy and weird. Or I would say because uh, it's Japanese. Yeah, sleeping Dog, dude, racist as fuck. Chinese? Is it Chinese? Oh, it's I thought Hong it was. Kong. I thought it was Japanese. No, that's Yakuza. Ah. You racist son <laughs> of a bitch. I would go with ignorant in this circumstance, but sure, you can call me racist if you want. Well, you got to call me racist earlier for uh, the color that's of fair. birds. That's fair. I will take that mantle. But I guess technically not even Chinese. Uh, it really depends on how you view it, because at the time, no, no, it would be post a uh, transfer of uh, from. Great Britain to China, so China, technically Chinese, but also not because Hong Kong is in this weird legal limbo. Uh, but yeah, essentially Chinese GTA. There is some uh, rather out there elements, but it also has some of the best fighting mechanics outside the uh, Arkham series. Uh, let's see, Infinifactory, essentially Minecraft meets Factorio in a yeah, puzzle element. Gonna- or a puzzle, say it's right? an added puzzle it's a, stuff to it because you do have goals you're trying to... Well, it's a Zach Triumphs yeah. game. So, you know, that's pretty much all you need to know. <laughs> uh, Donut County, which if you're going to pick up any of these, I would strongly suggest yeah. this one uh, just for time frame. We picked Donut County for, yeah. is it the September Game Club? Is that... Um, we're a few months ahead, so let's check. Double checking. Scroll, 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 scroll. Yeah, September. Yeah, so that one's a definite coming up. The other ones might be farther away in time. You might wait till the next sale. But Donut County, definitely going to be up sooner rather than later. Let's see. The Room, which is a... uh, Initially came out on mobile escape room game. I think this could be interesting just... Uh, you know, how puzzle games kind of evolve. Because this is a weird little sub-genre of the puzzle genre to begin with. Uh, the escape room. And it does look like they uh, did quite the boost to graphics whenever they went from mobile to uh, uh, PC. So yeah, the PC tax is warranted in that case, but it's 49 cents on sale. 
Yeah. And your pick was Ironclad Tactics. tactics for, yeah. A deck builder uh, meets steampunk uh, mm-hmm. mechs. Which makes me happy. And also another Zectronics game, which makes me happy. So it was a win-win overall. Yeah. I don't think there was anything highly objectionable. No. Well, yet. We haven't really played them yet. True. <laughs> so reserve judgment on that case. But yeah, that's the list of some upcoming Game Club games. I mean, it, this doesn't mean this Possible. doesn't mean we're going to go October, November, December, etc. with these games, but uh, definitely not since we've uh, determined yeah. October. But they're going to be in they're going to be in the rotation to Yeah, and the way the choosing happens is we have like the master list of I would say 50, 75 games. Yeah. And we each pick 5 if we agree with one immediately it's an automatic win then we debate yep, we go from there sometimes it's easier sometimes it's harder and sometimes i throw a curveball and you're like oh <laughs> you do that often i i rarely go for curveballs yeah you're more of just a fastball right down the middle yeah i try and pick stuff that either myself or you will like yeah see i, I try to pick interesting things that would be a good, either a good discussion or also consider what we played the last couple of months and try to pick something different. Yeah. So, you know, we don't go uh, the same genre of game multiple months in a row, which really hurts uh, mechanical uh, talk. Yeah. Know? Even though we do have that coming up, but not in quite in a way that I think would impact mechanics. Yeah, I suppose we'll, we'll always, you know, have to wait and see, but... Those can be fun discussions, too. You know, it just depends on what the game is. Mm-hmm. I would say if you have a, a suggestion for Game Club of things we should uh, consider, uh, during a sale would be a good time, or even just immediately after it, because we can uh, we do have a list of some games on here to pick up at some point, whenever they go on deep discount. Or deep enough discount, I should say. Yeah. So that's something we should also maintain at some point. Yeah, that would be a good idea. Just to add more, you know, more for us to get into. Mm-hmm. Um, Speaking of things to get into, uh, first, uh, if you wish to send those suggestions or anything else, vglpodcast at gmail.com or just tweet them to us vglpodcast on the twitter and looking at the time we have time to get into a discovery we do i am fading fast so we should if we're gonna do it we should make it relatively quick all right well no promises no promises because you know my cue but i do have something immediately anyway yo as per usual right i have code vein which is called a uh, well by the tags a roguelike or rogue souls like sorry from Bandcon Namco, which I definitely could see that in the art style and just the uh, how the game looks uh, mechanically. Looks like it has some very uh, methodically based uh, mechanics. Oh, and we should be hitting the music, by the way. <laughs> uh. But yeah, it has that definite Souls-like feel to it, you know? But with an anime aesthetic put 
not over it, but inserted into mm-hmm. it. Doesn't release for a couple months, so who knows how it's going to be. Don't pre-order, otherwise you get a spanking. So, yeah. Code Vein, definitely worth a look, at least, uh, coming up. So I also got Code Vein, and then a whole bunch of garbage. I don't have a game yet, so if you've got another one, feel free to go ahead. Well, I got a pile of garbage as well. It's NBA 2K20. Yeah, I got that. I just (laughs) skipped over it, because fuck that shit. Yeah, I mean, that one's not even worth uh, saying. Uh, That's terrible. What the hell? Sorry, I'm looking at this because what the fuck is uh, this? Looks like just some uh, almost asset, well, not asset flip, but the hell. Okay, I got uh, one. Oh, what the hell? Uh, oh, it's called Overload. I'm gonna drop a link in right now. Uh, looks like Descent. It's a six degree of freedom, first person. Ask spaceship combat game. Um, looks pretty neat. Looks pretty solid. Um, seems fun and cool and interesting looking. But, you know, uh, this one would have to come down to how well the ship responds and how good the AI are to make that experience work. Yeah, because that's a hell of a thing to try to do six degrees of free of movement on an AI. Because hell, two deep plane is sometimes uh, too yeah. much. So. Yeah, I'm. Oh. This may be worth looking at. Uh, it's. Survival horror, but what the hell? I've, I've had absolute shit. So, you know, I gotta have something, right? Right. So, looks like Metroidvania esque survival horror. Borrow trauma? Barrow trauma? I got. Uh, overcome crisis and unrelating pressure of a frozen ocean. So, uh, you're in a submarine uh, and flee or fight alien life forms. Explore strange new uh, world in Jupiter's orbit. So, you're in a submarine in the orbit of Jupiter? Okay, so. A space sure, sub? why not? I'd be a space sub. You do realize you don't eat space subs, right? <laughs> Not with that attitude. Um. Well, uh, well, we do know how you like things that are long and hard and hell yeah. And... Uh, it looks interesting. Uh, play as a submarine captain, engineer, mechanic, medic, or security officer, and help your teammates survive. So, multiplayer focused survival horror that actually could be interesting if done well. It's an early access for thirty bucks, though. That's a bit of a hard sale. But definitely uh, worth the consideration if you have a good group. So I got a game called Hypergate, which I assume is being recommended to me because I've been playing the X-Series because this looks a lot like a worse version of that. But it's they're saying it's focused more on space combat instead of other stuff. But, I mean, it looks okay. Lots of pretty lights and explosions. But I'm not going to go spend the nearly 10 bucks it takes to get this. Yeah, sorry. I'm looking at something. Uh, oh, what the hell. We'll add this one to the list. This, this looks like old school 16-bit era 2D space shooter mm-hmm. called 
Fission Superstar X. Like I said, uh, 16-bit era graphics, uh, 2D uh, space shooter. Uh, they call it a roguelike. So, some sort of procedural generation going on. Uh, it's supposed to be pretty heavy on the humor. I mean, it definitely looks goofy enough uh, in the art style. Some mixed reviews. Uh, target audience, very patient roguelike players, which is disappointment. Uh, but, yeah, it, I would say it's worth a consideration just from the looks of things. But, yeah, not a, a hard buy right now. Oh. What is... It's kind of funny. I got this on my Discovery okay. view. I'll add it nonetheless. I mean, there's not a lot to talk about, okay. but Super Hot <laughs> VR. Nice. I, I mentioned Super Hot VR. There it is. Didn't mean to have that happen, but what the hell, right? Yeah. So I got Dota Underlords. Oh, that's the auto chest, isn't it? Auto chest? Mm, yes. Hey, we wanted uh, Valve to make games. We didn't say uh, games that we would play. Uh, I guess auto chess is going to be like the new thing uh, after Battle Royale kind of dies down. It seems to be picking up speed. There's that one. Uh, League of Legends is doing one. So, yeah, there's definitely you know, some sort of momentum building. It just depends on you know, if enough people put them out to get the... Uh, momentum continuing I would say it's probably a little bit easier to uh, get a uh, big enough community to support them just because Battle Royale requires just such a huge investment of people per match so my yeah my queue is I done one last one yeah I'm on my last one and it's an interesting one. Oh, crap there we go the Last Hex. A deck-building RPG with roguelite elements. The dead arise and only you can stand against them. Travel the lands and slay monsters, acquire new cards, and survive dangerous encounters. So, a RPG roguelite deck-builder. Interesting. Yeah, I was going to say, doesn't sound like the worst idea to me. If done well, it could uh, be pretty good. I would say graphics looks a little bland, but I mean, it's a deck builder, so it doesn't have to be amazing graphics. Right. I mean, they're not terrible, but they're not, you know, stand out either. And we've seen a, kind of a building momentum on deck builders as well. I'm not a big fan of the font. I know that sounds petty as fuck, but uh, the uh, font on the cards makes it a little bit hard to read. Uh, especially on uh, the I guess the two, three, four uh, I think it's the fifth sc- or fifth or sixth screenshot Triumphant mm-hmm. Blow where it starts to get a lot of in- uh, information on it it starts to get a little bit eh also uh, that, that's what bugs me is that the text is italicized but it's off center it looks like on the cards am I the only one seeing that? Especially on that one screenshot. The other ones look like they're fine. Maybe it's just a, like an early build. This is an early access game, so... Mm. Right. So yeah, like I said a minute ago, that's my cue. Dota Underlords yeah, was that's it. mine. Uh, the last text. Uh, a deck builder, though, uh, that could be very uh, interesting uh, if done well. So, uh, I'm waiting. 
We'll wait no more rage <laughs> and instead go forth and hit him with the socials. Well, I've been Caffeine Rage. You can find me on the YouTubes, Gaming with Caffeine Rage. You can find me on Twitter, Gaming with CR. And maybe someday you'll find me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash caffeine underscore rage. Or you can just find me on Steam. How about that? Caffeine Rage there as well. And you've been? Gaming Psychologist. You can find my stuff on the YouTubes by searching for Gaming Psychologist. You can follow me on Twitter at JMA4707. And if you want to be friends with me on Steam, send a friend request to JRArthur4707. And if you wish to let either of us know what episode of the podcast you're coming from, the password for this week is Explosion Day. Woo! Explosion Day. Explosions. It's kind of funny. We started recording and then uh, the war zone around me uh, kind of went silent. They knew. Maybe my neighbor, maybe my neighbor blew himself up finally. <laughs> See you later, bastard. Well, trust me. I know him pretty well. Uh, you're not far off. Nice. Uh, but once again, for the email, you could reach us, Podcast at gmail.com with your letters, voicemails, gaming related topics, or don't forget, uh, of course... The game club uh, suggestions. We are looking for those as well. Or just tweet them to us, VGL Podcast. Our lovely, lovely patrons have made this podcast happen. And yes, it is all your fault. You should feel ashamed of yourself. But if you uh, wish to, you know, atone for that shame, patreon.com slash VGL Podcast. And yes, I'm joking. You are all lovely people. Just the loveliest. <laughs> uh, sorry. Uh, voice is starting to You're get okay. out. Well, thank you. You're not bad yourself. Aww. Our lovely patrons have also made our Podbean account possible. VGLpodcast.podbean.com, which hosts the RSS feed, the show notes, links to all our stuff. But you can also find us on iTunes, Google Play, or your podcatcher of choice. Except for that one in particular, because fuck that one. Our intro and outro music is on the ground by Kevin McLeod, and our Discovery Q music is doobly doo by the same artist. You can find his work at incomputech.com. As always, as his lovely music starts to roll across my very tired voice. Pool boy now. See you next time.